In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly King, O Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, O Treasurer, good and bestower of life, come and dwell us, and cleanse us from every stain, and save our souls, O Good One. As I've mentioned in previous talks, it is important for the priest to make Orthodox Christians aware of any dangers that exist. Some think it's only to do with heresy. But it's not only just to do with heresy, but it's also to do with any movement, anything which affects Orthodox Christians, a priest needs to enlighten the people. And one such movement is to do with feminism. And there are people here who are quite ignorant and will think that feminism has done a lot of good, equal rights for women, which we're going to hear about now, but they're not really aware of the full story. It actually realised as I was preparing this talk that this problem with feminism has actually caused a lot of destruction in marriages today, including orthodox marriages, for the simple reason that feminism is a very powerful movement. So let's look at just a simple definition. It says here, feminism is a collection of movements and ideologies aimed at defining, establishing, and defending equal political, economic, cultural, and social rights for women. This includes seeking to establish equal opportunities for women in education and employment. A feminist advocates or supports the rights and equality of women. Now, at first glance, people can say, what's wrong with that? And some of us will bring to mind some good things that 
have uh, come about because of feminism. Let's have a look. It says here, feminist campaigns over the last, say, 100 years, even though there was feminism even from a few centuries ago, but let's just stick to uh, the ones for the last 100 or more years, feminist, feminist campaigns have changed societies, particularly in the West, by achieving women's suffrage, which is they were the ones, I think, from the late... 19th century, and what they did is they, they fought for the right of women to vote and to stand for electoral office. Now, they've also fought for gender neutrality in English. Now, I'm not sure what that means, but I've got a feeling it's they've changed the books. Before, we used to say when you refer to someone as he, they don't like that. It's got to be an it or whatever, they, or however else they do it. And then they want equal pay for women. Now, many will say that's good. If they do the same work, they should uh, get the same pay. Then we come to one which is a little bit sticky, which is reproductive rights for women, including access to contraceptives and abortion. Now, as Orthodox Christians, we know that the abortion part, for sure, is wrong. The contraception, well, there's some in the church they say, okay, there's nothing wrong with it, and others in the church they say, no, it's, it's a big sin. And as I've said, I am going to try to cover that in, the f in a few talks, maybe next year, early next year. And the right to enter into contracts and own property, that must mean that women back long ago weren't allowed to um, enter into legal contracts or own property. I never knew that. Anyway, feminists have worked to protect women and girls from domestic violence, sexual harassment, and sexual assault, like rapes and things like that. They've pushed for laws to, be, to become stricter and that uh, if a woman accuses someone not to be victimised. They have also advocated for workplace rights, including maternity leave, and against forms of discrimination against women. One can say they've done a lot of good work. Unfortunately, many are ignorant about what feminism really is and the effects it has had on society. In other words, not all aspects of feminism is good, and especially where they've come to now. And there is a growing movement, mostly women, who are not favourable towards feminism. Even women themselves are starting to say, I don't want to be looked at as a feminist. I don't like feminism. So there is a slogan which is out there, and it's called Feminism's War on Men, Children, Marriage, and Yes, Women. See, the greatest enemy of women today are the feminists. I'll give you an example of how powerful these people are and how dangerous it is to say anything which they don't like. Now, I'm not interested in the actress that I'm going to speak about, but just as a good example, I went looking and I found a few examples which will help us to get an idea. Now, there's an actress called Kirsten Dunst. I don't know who she is. I think she's some... Actress, I think she played in Spider-Man, doesn't interest me. But anyway, she voiced her support for traditional gender roles a few months ago. 
I think maybe she was interviewed when she was on the red carpet, I'm not really sure. But anyway, a few months ago, she made a comment. While most of Hollywood's actresses share their feminist values of empowerment, that's a very important word for them, empowerment, independence, Kirsten Dunstan seems to have a more traditional perspective when it comes to gender roles. Now, what we mean by gender roles is what is a man and what is a woman. She said a couple of things, and this sent everyone to go berserk. She said, I feel like the feminine has been a little undervalued. We all have to get our own jobs and make our own money, but staying at home, nurturing, in other words, nurturing children, being the mother, cooking, it's a valuable thing my mum created. You do not say to a feminist anything to do with staying home. Now, they say about um, the right to choose. They said a woman should have a right to choose as long as they choose what they want you to choose. That's the thing. Anyway, you'll see in a minute. And this woman also went on, this Kirsten woman said, and sometimes you need your knight in shining armour. I'm sorry, you need a man to be a man and a woman to be a woman. That's why relationships work. So in other words, she said that she looks, she wants her man to be like a knight that's going to come and rescue her or whatever, something along those lines. Now, one female journalist, she wrote, this is what she wrote about her comments. She said, it's not like she's saying women shouldn't work or that women who aren't domestic are bad mums. Rather, she's saying that being feminine and nurturing is not such a horrible thing and can bring a lot of value to the relationship. What's even more bizarre is the left's response. When we say the left, it means the really uh, fanatical feminists. You would have thought that the sky was falling or something. And we're going to hear, we're going to hear their comments now. We're going to hear good comments and bad comments. But she's... She's, um, this actress, she didn't actually say that women who don't stay home are bad, because if she did, well, she wouldn't be alive. So what, she's, what she did is that she was very careful. She goes, what's wrong if a woman wants to stay home and take care of children? She said, my mum did it. Anyway, now let's go through some of the reactions. But going through the reactions we can actually understand the feminist mind. That will help us then come to where we're going to come to today, which is what does the church teach about gender roles and marriage? We have to first undo all the brainwashing. So Jezebel, which is, I think, some website, is a blog aimed at women's interests, focusing on celebrity, sex and fashion for women. And some woman there, she said, Kirsten Dunst is not paid to write gender theory. So it shouldn't surprise anyone that she's kind of dumb about it. Now, that's very interesting because, in other words, no one is allowed to have an opinion unless they've studied gender uh, theory at university. So only people that have been brainwashed at university have a right to make comments about these topics. Anyway, then there's Elle magazine. What's this one? It's a worldwide lifestyle magazine that focuses on fashion, beauty, health, and entertainment. 
In other words, a boring thing. And it says there, uh, someone tweeted there, that Kirsten Dunst has some funny ideas about what a relationship should be like. Now, there's another thing called Refinery29. I didn't even know all these things existed. But anyway, Refinery29, you would think, was the um, some oil refinery. <laughs> but it's actually, uh, what's this one? It's an American-based fashion, style and beauty website that follows a newsletter format. And the overall website sections include fashion, beauty, living, entertainment, how-to and news. And what did they say? They, one woman there said, Kirsten Dunst has shared her thoughts on gender roles in, relation, in a relationship and we're kind of wishing she hadn't. And who's we? Meaning the feminists. We don't want people to voice their opinion. Yes, we say freedom, free choice. Yes, we say all that. But we don't want it to be said publicly because it undermines what they're pushing. Another blog, a prox, I don't know what, I don't know what, is that how you say it? Do you know? Called her an insufferable person, and that means an unbearable, intolerable person who thinks that women should know their place is in the home. That's the type of words that they use. So anyone who makes any comment, it's like, oh, you're saying that women have to be at the home, in the home. And finally, a beauty website called The Gloss, a website for women, called her interview messed up. That she's a messed, it's a mess, she's got messed up ideas, or she's messed up herself, etc. Now, and another person here, a writer called um, Ariane or something, Sommer, bashed it as regressing to a 1950 model of womanhood. We're going to hear that a lot. Anytime anyone says a woman, it would be good for a woman to stay home, take care of you, go, oh, we're going back to the 1950s. And she said that the model of the staying at home to cook and a mother, while admirable for some, it's okay for some, it's far from ideal or financially practical for many Americans. In her own words, she said the following quote, people nowadays have to make a living and simply can't afford the luxury of spending the entire day at home. Firstly, she says it's a luxury. So a woman that stays at home, it's, it's luxurious. She's really relaxed, taking care of the children. But yet... If it was so relaxing and such a great thing, then how come women, just for them to be told, for them to stay home, it's like you're passing a thousand volts of electricity through them. Why? And why is it that a lot of women want to go to work? And I've spoken to a lot of women, they go, I'm sorry, it's easier to go to work than to stay home. But yet they call it a luxury. They also attacked the, la the one who was going for president in the 2012 elections in America, which was um, a conservative person called Mitt Romney, and then his wife, I think she had five boys, and she stayed home, and all the feminists attacked her because she publicly said that she stayed home and she took care of the boys, and they said that she doesn't have any idea because she just stayed around at home and was lazy all day. So she was attacked. This woman continues on and says, there needs to be 
a modern approach to gender roles that is rooted in the reality of our day-to-day lives. See how it sounds beautiful? Then See, it sounds so deep and like it comes out of a textbook from the university on gender studies or something. There needs to be a modern approach to gender roles that is rooted in the reality of our day-to-day lives. Being open towards being what is considered feminine at times, yes, but regressing to a 1950s model of womanhood, hell no. Women have fought too hard and too long for the liberties we are able to enjoy now. And there's still a lot of work that needs to get done towards gender equality. So that's typical of what they say. See, we, women can't go back to the 1950 model of women. Most of them didn't work. The man worked. Women stayed home, took care of their children. And we have to have, because we've, re, we've come into a different era now, and we have to have a different model And what they're saying is that women work and the children either, one, you kill them, two, you throw them to the um, daycare centres, or three, you just don't have any at all, don't get married, or four, you give them to the mother or father or some grandparent or something like that. So that's the new model of today. And there's a lot written about the effects that childcare has, especially on infants, on the newly born up to the first few years, there's a lot of literature on that. Now you might say, I've never heard of that literature. That's correct, because the feminists will not allow that to be publicised. A lot of studies. Actually, one doctor in America did a study on it in the 80s, and he was, he was turfed out, and basically he was cut off. They didn't want him anymore, and he had to, went over to England. I was going to talk about it today, but we'll talk about that in the next talk on when when we come to the children's talk, God willing. Anyway, so this person's attitude is that it's a luxury to stay home. Women can't do that now because there's a lot of expenses. What are these expenses? I've never done it, but I should. I should actually get someone who's inclined that way to give me some figures of how much it costs for the hair, how much it costs for the false nails, how much it costs for the makeup, how much it costs to change the fashion every season, because they don't, because the modern women, they don't wear the same clothes from season to season. They have to do what, whatever the fashion designers say. All these are very, very, it's very expensive, the holidays. And yes, when you have a lifestyle like that, how can, you, how can you just be on one wage? So she's correct in one way because uh, people live very expensively now and that's why they need two wages. But Elder Paisio said that people can do just as well with one wage if they cut down on the rubbish. Anyway, let's look at the discussion, more discussion on this actress's comments on social media. One person said, it's a shame to see that in this situation, those who claim to be the most tolerant were actually as close-minded as they could be. I like that one. She's saying, this woman here's saying that um, feminists believe that they're tolerant and open-minded, but yet 
Look how, look how they've reacted. Number two, another person said, what's wrong with Dunst having her own opinions? What's wrong with a woman being feminine? What's wrong with a man being masculine? What's wrong with you that you are so angry about this? Another person says, she does say some retarded things now and again. So that's the name calling and, and that's what they do. Number four, these are honest and heartfelt statements, yet her critics are lining up to condemn her. So it's positive and negative, as I mentioned earlier on. Number five, this is a female. What feminists fail to consider is the truth that men and women are different, period. Means that's it, full stop. Men and women are different. So what does that mean? Do feminists, are feminists trying to say that there is no difference? That's exactly what they're saying. What Dunst said is quite true. Women need men and men need women. Apparently, to be a good feminist, you need to hate men, support abortion, and require the rest of society to pay for all your reproductive needs. What rubbish. Feminists need to shut the... There's four stars and there's an up. So whatever that is, I think it might be a French word. Now, number six, female said this. Crazy how if you're liberal and feminist or anything radically new and enlightened, you're entitled to speak your piece, but someone traditional to voice an opinion, they're told that they shouldn't speak ever and need to shut the hell up. Nice double standards here. These are women speaking. Now, we all know what happened to the current prime minister when he said something that he wished that he would like his daughters to be virgins when they get married or something like that. Anyway, uh, what he went through from the feminists, they put him down, put him, they actually called him monk and other things like that, which is not even a monk, but because he wanted to become a priest at one stage. And anyway, and we know the famous speech from the female prime minister at the time who called him a misogynist. Also, he's called by many women an alpha male because he is, uh, he likes bike riding and surfing and, and, um, and therefore because he's too masculine and dom alpha male is a, means a dominant male. And they don't like that, you see, because feminists don't like men to be men. That's why they have destroyed the education system such that boys in the education system are suffering the most. And we need to look at that in a future talk. The lack of male teachers, that subjects are geared towards girls, and it's a disaster. And I think even the word disaster is too light. But I haven't got time now for that. But that's really bad. And this is what feminism has done. Next person. We support women speaking out unless they say something we don't like. Then they're stupid, retarded idiots who need to shut the hell up. This hell word's coming up a lot, isn't it? She's very courageous woman, another person said, because it's prob it probably means she will never work in Hollywood again, which is a complete injustice. And that is another fear that a lot of people who are public figures are scared to express their views because 
Hollywood is run by liberals, feminists, gays and, all, and sodomites and all the rest of the trash that exists over there. On Twitter, one person even tweeted that Dunce should join the list of actresses who should never be allowed to talk near young girls. And that's true because in schools today, traditional uh, pe people with traditional views to come in and talk to students, they're not allowed. See? But who comes now in are the transvestites, that's happened at Burwood Girls, if I remember right, and the transgender and the gays and all these other people. They're allowed to have access to the kids that you send to schools. Why, I don't know, but anyway, that's what you choose to do. That's who has access to the children now. But we're going to talk about transgenderism in, soon and we'll, talk, we'll expose that as well. Dunst's comments are a breath of fresh air in a culture that has brought us war on women, propaganda. Now, in the last election, in the 2012 election, the, what are they called, the Democrats, who are liberal, they wanted to win. So uh, that's where President Obama wanted to become president for another four years. And he won. And one of the ways that they won was to create this myth that the Republicans who are meant to be more conservative are, are they warring against women. And because of that, women believed it. A lot of women voted for him and the other one lost. So this propaganda, there is a propaganda called War on Women. The church supposedly is, is warring against women. Anyone traditional is warring against women. But who are true, but who are the real enemies of women? We'll see soon, won't we? Well, we've already said it, but let's go, we'll see in more detail. Another female journalist wrote, new research reveals an increase in the amount of women choosing to be stay-at-home mums. That's interesting, isn't it? Three in ten women, 30%, are remaining home with their children, and that's up 3% from 2008, which was 27%. So even though this propaganda, this feminism is going full steam ahead, women are waking up and saying, I'm not, I'm not interested to have a career. It doesn't mean they can't. I'm just saying what women are doing. I'm not, I'm not at this moment saying that women shouldn't work and women shouldn't have careers. I'm just saying what's going on. And the same with abortion. They had a rally in, what, uh, in Washington there, D.C., and there was all these hundreds of thousands of people that came, the majority women, who were protesting against abortion. And a lot of them were teenage girls too. And that sent the feminists saying, what's happening? How are we losing? Anyhow, this, this woman continues on. I wonder if they consider it a luxury to cook, clean and care for their household, as some feminists su suggest. She's trying to say it's not a luxury to stay home and to cook and clean and things like that. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's more difficult. 
and hence why they don't want to do it. That was the Kirsten Dunst woman. Now we're going to do another one. This is now one called Suzanne Venka. Now, her slogan is the war on men. Now, the Kirsten Dunst thing was in 2014, just a few months ago. This one was in 2012, end of 12, 13, not long ago. And what she went through, and this will give us another idea of where we're heading, that will help us for the rest of the talk. Now, this woman is an author. She's a frequent guest on Fox News. Now, Fox News is a tradition, more of a traditional cable news group compared to CNN, which is more liberal and all the American television shows like here, the ones on the public on the free-to-air, a lot of them are all liberal and anti-traditional. She tackles a range of social issues surrounding marriage, childcare and gender wars as outlined in her three books and recent e-book, The War on Men, which was published shortly after a Fox article of the same name, which is called also The War on Men, and went viral in November 2012. Viral means that people, it went all over the place and people were commenting and we're going to hear what what some of them were saying. Now, in late 2013, Suzanne founded a group called Women for Men, a news and opinion website committed to the needs of boys and men. See that? Because watch, because it's been it's, it's showing now more and more that men and boys have actually been affected significantly by feminism. She's also a trustee at Leading Women for Shared Parenting and is part of the commission to establish a White House Council on Boys and Men. And Suzanne has written for various publications, including the New York Post. St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Parents.com, The Daily Caller. Her TV credits include Stoss or whatever that is, The View, Fox and Friends, ABCnews.com, CNN, C-SPAN and Canadian and Australian television news outlets, as well as hundreds of radio shows throughout the country. Similar to when we heard in the last talk about the Bettina Aunt woman, that sex therapist, which I also mentioned the attacks that she got because she said that women... Um, should submit to men sexually because that's going to keep the peace. And the feminists went crazy with her. Not that I believe that Orthodox Christians should go to sex. I was trying to bring out that point. You have to listen to the talk. That's talk 64. Now, her book, which was um, published in January the 29th, 2013, there's like a bit of a, a description of it, and I thought the description's good because it helps us to understand... The what's going on in this feminist, feminist movement. And it says here, over the last four decades, which would be about correct, because feminism became especially strong in the 70s, especially when they won the right to uh, have abortions, which was in 73. By the way, the woman who took whatever this Roe v. Wade, that woman said that she was raped and therefore she wanted an abortion. That's why there was all went to the Supreme Court. And from that case, they, uh, she won, and that what got the law passed that is on the Supreme Court level. That woman now has admitted that she lied, that she wasn't raped, and she's also now uh, anti-abortion. And she's actually working to get the law changed that she helped to change in the first place in 1973, which then influenced Australia, and then we changed it as well. 
So over the last four decades, America has witnessed a profound change in marriage and gender relations for the worse. And while there are definitely a handful of reasons for the fractured family unit, the most significant phenomenon to rupture marriage was feminism. So she's saying that family has been basically torn apart, and the reason for that is feminism. The description of the book says, in the span of a few short decades, the movement managed to demote or reduce its men from respected providers and protectors of the family to unneeded buffoons, clowns, in other words, someone ridiculous. That's what she believes. So men were looked at before as respected providers and protectors of the family, and now feminism has reduced them to being buffoons, unneeded, superfluous, whatever, clowns, in other words, someone ridiculous, not unnecessary. To a large part of the population, the idea that men can be victims at all is unbelievable and laughable. And some of you might say, oh, I thought men have always been superior or they've always had it really good. Women have been the ones that have lost out. But that's not the case, is it? Everyone knows there's more work to be done for women to achieve so-called equality, this person's writing. Everyone knows that the patriarchy is alive and well, but Americans have been, have been fooled. Now, remember, this woman is not an orthodox woman, so she's going to say some stuff there which might not agree with the orthodox church, but at least we're getting some ideas of what's going on. But I like that one. But Americans, obviously means including Australians as well, have been had, and that means fooled, sucked in, brainwashed. Feminism isn't about equal rights. Oh, that's interesting. Nor is it about providing women with choices. I don't care how pretty feminists package their agenda. The mission is clear. Now she's going to say, what is the aim of feminism. So the mission is clear. Ready? Feminism is a war on men. It's time to say what no one else will. The sexual revolution was a disaster. Modern men have no respect for modern women and vice versa. Very powerful thing. If a man said that, of course... Very difficult. But anyway, this is a woman saying it. She said, the sexual revolution was a disaster and feminism is a war on men. Marriage has turned into a competition rather than a partnership. Dating is outdated. though People don't even date anymore. And any reference to gender differences is met with scepticism and outright ridicule. In other words... You can't say there's a difference between a man and a woman. You'd be mocked. Post-feminist America, I love this next statement, post-feminist America thinks males and females are virtually identical. We, we have become genderless. So that's how it is here, how it's going, and over there, 
especially. If you look at the Academy Award, that gold thing that they've got there, whatever it is, and you can see that's genderless. So, we're coming a bit close now. So, feminism is a war against men that there's no difference between a male and a female. Why is this important? Now, some people might be saying, what am I doing here today? I'm too spiritual for this. I want to hear spiritual things on prayer. I want to hear about fasting. I want to hear about the Jesus prayer. I want to hear this and want to hear that. And my answer to that is, that's a deception. Everyone has been influenced by many things. Just like when I did the talk on the deaf and dying. I actually went through and analysed a lot of the data of these experiences of people that, have, that were on operating table, they were completely out, they had died, and then later on they came back and they explained to, it, to the doctors and nurses who did what during the time. They said that they could see themselves, they were up, they saw, they could see down, they could see them trying to resuscitate them and all those type of things. I had to explain that in detail because Orthodox Christians looking at that can get ideas and say, okay, that, and that's true. That, up to that part, that's true. But then all the other things they say about nice, beautiful gardens and doesn't matter if you've done 10 abortions, you still go up to paradise. Doesn't matter what you've done, it's all sweet and nice and beautiful singing, and all these things are a trick. And people see these things. As I said, the only people that don't get influenced are hermits or people that are locked up in monasteries that don't have internet and don't have television, that don't have, don't have much contact with the world. They don't, they're not influenced. But everyone else is. Whether you're listening to your radio as you're going to work, whether you're watching the news before they're rubbish a lot of times, whether you're at work and you're listening to others speak, everyone is being brainwashed. Now let's go on here and see, even though I said that feminism is a movement, it's also in a way a heresy. What's a heresy? A distortion of the truth. And what are they distorting? They're distorting how God has created man how God has created the, the, the woman and how God has given us marriage, which we're going to hear in a minute. And what we're going to hear soon of all the teachings of the fathers and the saints, etc., is, is completely different to what they believe. To end the war on men, women must stop crying out and demanding for something we already have and have had for quite some time, equality. Equal but different, she's saying. In other words, she's saying, yes, we are equal, have equal rights, but not the same. In other words, she's saying male and female are different. Men and women have been equally blessed with amazing and unique qualities that each brings to the table, in other words, in a marriage. Isn't it time we stop fussing about who brought what and just enjoy the feast? So she obviously must be a bit religious. Now, also, I found some excerpts from her book. The, what I just gave now was a, like a description of her book, like at the back cover or something. And I found also some, some parts from her book 
And I think it's important to read this a little bit. She asked the question, name a sitcom. Sitcom is like a comedy that they have on television. From 1970 forward that depicts a strong, responsible, intelligent father figure. So back in the old days when they used to have some of these television shows, it showed a man that was working, that he was a, a good man, he was taking care of his family and all those type of things, even in comedies like The Brady Bunch and other shows like that. But, but now they're saying fathers in sitcoms today are good-hearted, nice, but, but they are also depicted as immature, dumb, lazy and incompetent. Do we seriously believe this drumbeat of messages has no impact, writes New York Times reader Alan Bird. So in other words, do we really seriously believe that this constant bombardment of the feminist message is not affecting relationships today? It has major impact. And she says, today's sitcoms, all those shows they have on TV and commercials, routinely paint and port a portrait of the idiot husband whose wife is smarter and more capable than he, the new dad is portrayed as unemployed, unaware and thoroughly emasculated. Even these cop shows that they've got, sometimes they're meant to be serious but you can actually look at it as a comedy. And they, the way that they portray, so there's one there where there's this uh, woman who's supposedly the head of all these detectives. This woman is about this short and her legs are like my fingers, right? One, two, that's her, that, that's her body. So she's really thin. And then suddenly she's, she has to take down these criminals. So here comes these guys that look like wrestlers and she hits them and knocks them out. And people are so stupid to believe that, that that's, that's how it is. All these tough women and all these type of things that are to show that women are the same. They've got this mania now to get into the um, American, um, the, um, the SEALs, the Navy SEALs. The Navy SEALs is the most elite group in America. You have to be like super, like thousands go for it, only a few pass. They've become obsessed that they want to get into that. And they won't rest until they get in there. Now, on the news the other day, it was very interesting that some fella jumped the fence of the, um, the White House there. And I think no one even saw him. He actually got as far as the front door. Then he went in and the alarm didn't go off because someone said, I want the alarm off because it's making too much noise every time someone walks in. So the alarm was off. So this guy got pretty much right in. And he was met by one of the Secret Service agents there who was a woman. Now we come to the reality. She was overpowered. She couldn't stop him. And someone else had to come along to stop him. Army fellows have said that when they're fighting the army and there's women, they're conscious, they're all the time conscious how that woman is. They've got this thing to protect her. That causes a lot of disruption. Now, the Israeli people, 
who have got a big army and they're very, very, very much into army over there, they have said, they had a fellow one on, on one of the television shows there, and he said, we've tried all that, to have women in combat and things like that. It doesn't work, and they cut him off. Why? Why do they have this for? Why do these women want to be... They want to... You see, you don't see men wanting to be like women apart from those that are suffering from some problem there. But you see women that want to be like men. Why is that? And I, and I read it in, in Elder Paisios there, and I've also uh, I've heard it in some talks. It starts with J. Who knows? Jealousy. They're just obsessed with it. That's why women are reacting, because they... Uh, I have a, a woman now, about 40, she told me that when she went to school, that all around her school, she went to a girls' school, there are posters, girls can do anything, girl power, you go for it, girl, and all these things, continually. Girls can do everything, and that's, that's what it was continually at school. And those images of these women that are high-powered, that have children and things like that, they're constantly being bombarded at the woman and saying, this is, you can do this. Yeah, maybe some of them might be able to do it, that's very exceptional, but the majority can't. And that's why the others are saying, blow you, I'm going, I'm, I'm not going to do it, I can't do it anymore. I can't keep up to the standard you want, they're saying. A lot of women are saying, I can't keep up to the standard that the feminists want me to, to have or to be at. Can't do it to be actually uh, a working woman and take care of children. It's very difficult. Some might be able to do it. Am I saying they shouldn't do it? I'm not here to say that now. I'm just saying, what's going on out there? Gender equality advocates, in other words, feminists, insist they have it all figured out. American women, they say, have taken their rightful place in society, the one that's been denied them for centuries, and men have become slackers. They don't have good jobs, and they spend all their time playing video games. Now, another section in her book was um, on an actress, Mary Louise Parker, was asked by a man if her being a mum meant, because she's a mum, she's got no man, but she's got a, a child from some partner that she had, and she's also got an adopted child. And so a man asked her, because of your two children, does that mean that um, we won't be able to go out alone together very much? She replied, yes, that's exactly what it means. It means you come forth, because it's my kids, my job, and my family. Now, that's important because that's the slogan today, which we're going to hear more and more of. Men aren't necessary anymore. 
What I have to say in the pages that follow may sound blasphemous, says this writer, um, but it's comments like Mary Louise Parker that are blasphemous. This type of male bashing, which almost always falls under the radar, in other words, people don't condemn when women that make those comments, is the, is the norm in modern America. At a Los Angeles press conference to promote the film The Switch, I don't know what that is, Jennifer Aniston said, women are realising more and more that you don't have to settle. You don't need a man to have a child. And we know what they're doing now, that they impregnate themselves, they go online, um, they get some sperm donor and whatever. Because to them, it, the child doesn't need a father and she doesn't need a man or they don't need men. If you're tempted to dismiss such comments as Hollywood drivel, in other words, nonsense, consider these remarks by another high-profile, by other high-profile females. Author and journalist Natalie Angie, I don't know who she is, begins an article in the New York Times by writing, quote, Women may not find this surprising, but one of the most persistent and frustrating problems in evolutionary biology is the male. Specifically, why doesn't he just go away? And that is showing you, and yet she wasn't attacked. In other words, she's saying that the male is just unnecessary. Why are they even around for? They're just a bother. The War on Men by Susan Venker, as I said, she, apart from her book, which I just read excerpts from in the introduction, she also wrote a, um, a piece for foxnews.com that was published in November 26, 2012. She made a few comments, and this, these comments that she made created this big storm on the internet. And she said that the battle, the battle of the sexes is alive and well. According to Pew Research Centre, that's the ones that take um, opinion polls, the share of women ages 18 to 34 that say having a successful marriage is one of the most important things in their lives rose nine percentage points since 1997. In other words from 28% to 37%. So now, 37% of women say that the most important for them thing is to have a successful marriage. 37%. I'm surprised it's even that high. For men, the opposite occurred. The share voice in this opinion dropped from 35% to 29%. So more women want a successful marriage, but less men are wanting a successful marriage. Believe it or not, modern women want to get married. The trouble is, men don't. The so-called shortage of good men, in other words, marriageable men, has been a hot subject in the media as of late. And we know that because there's these, uh, what do you call these things, internet, what is it, um, love and find your partner on the internet and all these type of things. Those, those people are making a lot of money. So maybe by day they're feminists, but no night they're on the internet looking for their man. 
Much of the coverage has been in response to the fact that for the first time in history, women have become the majority in the US workforce. That's interesting. More women are working now than men, thanks to feminism. They're also getting most of the college degrees. It's around, um, I think, uh, nearly 60% of these degrees are by women. Men, it's very hard for men to get into it now and all that, and get to get jobs. They also get most of the college degrees. The problem, this new phenomenon has changed the dynamics between men and women. But what if the shortage of good men and, on, and ongoing battle of the sexes is, hold on to your seats, this woman's saying, woman's fault? Now, can you see why she was attacked? She's actually saying that it's the woman's fault that these problems have occurred where women can't find men to get married. As the author of three books on the American family and its intersection with pop culture, I've spent 13 years examining social agendas as they pertain to sex, parenting and gender roles. During this time, I've spoken with hundreds, if not thousands of men and women, and in doing so, I've accidentally stumbled upon a subculture of men who've told me in no uncertain terms that they're never going to get married. When I ask them why, the answer is always the same. Women aren't women anymore. And I'm sure a lot of you have heard that as well. So she's saying that in all her studies, her 13 years of researching, she's noticed that a lot of men are saying that they don't want to get married because they cannot find a woman as what they're saying. To say gender relations have changed dramatically is an understatement. Ever since the sexual revolution, there's been a serious change in the way men and women interact. Men haven't changed much, she's saying. They had no revolution that demanded it. Because there was no male revolution. But women have changed dramatically because of the the feminist revolution. In a nutshell, women are angry. They're also defensive, though often unknowingly. And that's true. Now, I speak to a lot of women who do work. And you know what they say to me? A lot of them, I can't stand working for a woman. i rather work for a man. Because the man is just, just goes on, just does it. But the women, they're always trying to prove themselves. Like I've got some teachers that have head teachers, for example, that are women. And they're always trying to prove that they're good. They always feel inferior and they always try and they just give more and more and more work to their teachers. And But just also incorporating those big companies and all that, a lot of people have said, I don't like... These are women. I don't like working for uh, women and gay men if you can get the, the uh, similarity. That's because they've been raised to think of men as the enemy. So women have been brought up in these last few decades to believe that men are the enemy. Armed with this new attitude, women pushed men off their pedestal, which women had their own pedestal, but feminists convinced them otherwise, and climbed up to take what they were taught to believe was rightfully theirs. Now the men have nowhere to go. It is precisely this dynamic 
In other words, women good and men bad. So that's what a lot of women say today. Women are good, men are bad. That has destroyed the relationship between the sexes. Yet somehow men are still to blame when love goes awry or goes off or something like that. So when a woman does find someone and then the relationship fails, then they say, see, it's the man because they're bad. Not the fact that that might be herself. Men have been to blame since feminists first took the streets in, 19, in the 1970s. You'll never hear that in the media. Now, this is a very good point. This is what I was trying to say. The ordinary media, the mainstream media, does not present this to the people. Because they will be attacked. All the articles and books and television programs for that, for that matter, put women front and centre while men and children sit in the back seat. So it's not, and that's what I was saying earlier on, it's not just a war on men, but it's also a war on children, especially, as we're going to hear later on, the unborn ones. But after decades of bullying the American male, men are tired. Tired of being told there's something fundamentally wrong with them, tired of being told that if a woman ain't happy, it's men's fault. Now, some of you are married, Orthodox Christians, and part of the problem in today's marriages, in today's Orthodox marriages, is this, because of this brainwashing. I'm not saying that men don't have their faults. We're talking about feminism tonight. This is a problem which exists in marriages today. When someone's been brainwashed over their years with this type of philosophy, this type of ideology, then they're going to have that attitude in the marriage. Oh, it's, it's your fault. Oh, you're a man. Oh, typical male. All these type of comments that have been said. Contrary to what feminists like Hannah Rosen, author of The End of Men, she wrote a book called The End of Men, says the so-called rise of women, of women has not threatened men. It has angered them. It has also undermined their ability to become self-sufficient in the hopes of someday supporting a family. Now, I like this part here. We're going to come to that later on. Men are not intimidated by this, this women's rise to power, but they're angry. And they also have lost hope because they want, what, they, what, a, what a lot of men want is to support a family. Men want to love women, not compete with them, not fight with them, not have this competition. Men want to love women. They want to provide for and protect their families. It's in their DNA but modern women won't let them. That comment spun them out. However, I do want to say that, remember that comment, because we're gonna, let's see what the Orthodox fathers say. I'll say it again. Men, it's built in them to be providers and protectors of their families. It's in their DNA, what she's saying. 
but modern women won't let them. It's also unfortunate for women, not men. Feminism serves men very well. They can have sex at hello and even live with their girlfriends with no responsibilities whatsoever. That's, that's the stage it's got to. So that's why uh, people have these multiple partners, especially women. There's no commitment. And that's what that has caused is that men say, okay, well, they don't want to be committed. Good for us. We just have, um, that says here, sex at hello. I like that one, at hello. Do you know what that means? Yeah. Yes. It's the women who lose. So what she's saying is that they're losers. So if men today are slackers and if they're retreating from marriage as a group, women should look in the mirror and ask themselves, what role they've played to bring about this transformation, this change in society. Fortunately, there is good news. Women have the power to turn everything around. All they have to do is surrender to their nature, their femininity, and let men surrender to theirs. That comment caused, as you'll hear soon of their reaction, that caused heart attacks. For women to surrender to their femininity, they, the feminists didn't like that and let men surrender to theirs. To if they do, marriageable men will suddenly come out of the woodwork. So if this person's saying, not, not I'm saying, I'm saying what this person's saying. She's saying if women change their attitude and let men be men, then, you, then all of a sudden a lot of men who want to get married will come out. See how it's important to look at these back and forth. What does that person write? What does that person answer? It gives us an idea of what's going on. It gives us an idea of how people are being influenced, even people here who believe that they are Orthodox Christians. Some of you or many of you have gone through the system, the school system. And if you've gone through the school, if, if, through this group, then a lot of you have been brainwashed. And so we have to become, what's word? I don't know if it's such a word, unbrainwashed. How? Well, through God's divine light, through knowledge, through prayer, obviously, asking God to heal the soul, the mind, the heart, and to each person to take on their proper roles, as we will see soon what they are. Suzanne Venka, she said, it's been a crazy week, needless to say. The media has had a field day with my article, The War on Men, twisted my words any which way they choose. The hate mail has been severe. One woman even told me to kill myself. Fortunately, I hear from as many, if not more, women who secretly tell me they agree with my argument. It's a shame these women have to hide their true feelings. It's just not right. So what this reminds me of, communist Russia, the KGB. So people weren't allowed to say what they feel. That's how it has become now. That's why, as I've said in another post, I call it the WKGB, the Western KGB. Same thing. 
Just like in those days you weren't allowed to talk about Stalin or whatever. Today you can't say hardly anything. If you, put, if, you, if you say something against gays, then you can get in trouble. You can lose your job. You can lose your position, as you notice in the papers all the time. If you say something against women, then you're in trouble as well. People are living scared. As I said to you a few years ago, I went to Greece for the first time in 1974. At that time, the, the king was overthrown and they had like a military huda there, whatever it's called the military, it was run by the, by the military. And um, I never understood all that. I was 16 at the time, but, I, but, I, but we're walking in the street and um, because I heard my relatives say this Huda thing word, whatever it was, and I said it in the street uh, during the night as we were walking in some quiet street and my cousins got very upset. They said, shh. They were very scared and very upset. I go, what are you, me being stupid, thought, what are you scared of? What's, what's the problem? I never understood that. It was, the first, it was my first exposure to some, that type of um, government. But on, 40 years on, it's the same thing. And you see, and you see people, like you talk to people, and, and they say, oh, the, and they look around, scared, fear, scared to say anything. Like... They're living in communist Russia. Even, you can't even speak about dogs and cats. I remember one guy that came to do some service at the monastery there and, um, and he said, oh, looked around, can't stand cats, they're filthy. <laughs> and he turned around like that, paranoid. And he was scared. And the last paragraph here, out of all of the feminist hate mail and blogs that attacked me and my message, there was one who was honest enough to speak the truth. It may interest her and others to know she's not alone in claiming the feminist mantle while simultaneously backpedalling, like feminism is now going like a bit backwards. They're going backwards and saying, okay, when forward, we don't need men, but a lot of the women now are saying, oh, wait, wait a minute, no, I do want. I do want a man. No, I don't want to work. No, I don't want to have a career necessarily and things like that. But secretly, a lot of them are, are, are speaking out secretly or they have some anonymous Twitter account or Facebook or something like that so they can, no one can track them down. Okay, uh, we'll come back and we've got much more and then uh, a bit more on this, and then later on we're going to go into the Orthodox Church's teaching on gender roles, marriage, to counteract the rubbish that we just heard. Okay, so have a, a break, a few minutes there, whatever. Let's go on now. We need a little bit more background on, um, on this topic, so I think we should continue on a little bit more. As I said, some of you are more aware of feminism, and some people that will listen to the talk on the CDs, whatever, have, will, uh, might be aware, and some Orthodox Christians are completely unaware. 
So therefore, we need to get a better background. Now, Rebecca Walker, daughter of committed feminist Alice Walker. Now, some of you might already know this. She wrote a book, The Colour Purple. So her mother wrote a book, The Colour Purple, which I think they made into a film, and I think it's also a book that they do in the high school certificate. And her daughter, Rebecca Walker, uh, was just as courageous as her mother, and because the mother wrote some things in her book, I don't know what it was about, uh, in her article entitled, How My Mother's Fanatical View Tore Us Apart. Now, this daughter writes as follows. As a child, I yearned for a traditional mother. In other words, her mother was a feminist and she wasn't a traditional mother. So this girl, this woman, so now, as a child, wished she had a mother that was traditional. I grew up believing that children are millstones around your neck and that the idea that motherhood can make you happy is a complete fairy tale. So she was brought up to believe that just like someone who ties a rock on their a rope with a rock, and uh, it's a heavy load, it's unbearable, it's horrible. That's how she thought children were. When I hit my 20s, I could feel my biological clock ticking, but I felt if I listened to it, I would be betraying my mother and all that she had taught me. In fact, having a child has been the most rewarding experience of my life. My only regret is that I discovered the joys of motherhood so late. I've been trying for a second child, but so far with no luck. She goes on. Feminism has betrayed an entire generation of women into childlessness. This is, remember, this is the daughter of a big, big feminist. And she's actually gone against her mother gone against everything that her mother taught her and says, feminism has betrayed an entire generation of women into childlessness. But far from taking responsibility for this, the leaders of the women's movement close ranks against anyone who dares to question them, as I've learned to my cost. I believe feminism is an experiment and all experiments need to be assessed on their results. Then when you see huge mistakes have been paid, you need to make alterations. Now that is a very powerful statement from this woman. And the um, Suzanne goes on. She said, as for the men to whom I refer in my article, the ones I say are, are retreating for marriage below is a sample of their views. I'm going to read them really quickly. This is what some men wrote in response to her article on foxnews.com, whatever it is, and about her article about women and men and gender roles. And one fellow said, too many times the women I meet are so angry and hostile, I lose my any attraction. I want women to know there are many men like me waving a white flag to say, we just want to love and be loved. Another person, male, said, I'm frustrated and sad and find being a guy in this day and age belittling. Another couple, oh, this is a couple a man and a wife. He says, my wife and I read, read your latest article on Fox and we were nodding our heads and saying, that's so true. I'm 48, my wife's 44. Who is telling these girls all these lies? What, when did this happen? Anyway, we love you and hope you can come one day to the West Coast, etc. Now, another fellow said, Suzanne Venker just dropped the pipe bomb 
of knowledge on women everywhere. It's called the harsh truth. It's the only reason this is getting backlash from women and the only reason men pretend to be outraged is cause they want the good stuff, which is exactly what Suzanne is talking about. So this person saying here that um, this woman has just like to drop, drop the bomb and that uh, that's why she, she's been attacked. Your liberation isn't so liberating after all, but leave it to foolish pride to stand in the way of a woman's happiness. And from Michael, another fellow said, as a man single of 43, I, can ne I cannot tell you how much you have spoken my thoughts. I've never had someone state so precisely what I believe. Women aren't women is something I say all the time. Whenever asked why I'm single, I am very eligible, but I'm simply not attracted to the woman of today, other than physically. And from another fellow, if I was single now, I would have no interest in women other than in the most superficial way. I would never have to, to I would never have the confidence to invest emotional energy in any way. Call it what you want. That's a sample of men. Now, a sample of women who commented on this woman's article uh, is also interesting. These are all positive reactions, and I'm going to read you some negative, and that's pretty much. Now, uh, one woman said, thank you, Su Suzanne, for having the courage and conviction to be politically incorrect in speaking the truth about women, dating, and family. You speak for millions of women who don't have the same courage to stand by what seems like common sense in creating and maintaining a productive society and future generations' success and prosperity. So that's interesting that she's saying, she believes that it's a lot of women who's against feminism, but they're too scared to say anything. And another woman said, it's so completely wonderful to hear voices like yours expressing a truth so many of us know but will never see represented in the mainstream media. Thank you so much for your work, Suzanne. Again, that's important. You will not hear these things in, on, on the television, on the, in, on the ordinary tele television, and, and hardly in any of the cable television channels. Because a lot of those television stations are run by feminists. And they will not allow anything. Now, now and then slips through. For example, there's this family of in America that have 19 children called the Duggars there. They go on, I think, one popular um, ABC, maybe, one of those American shows, because people are interested. People want to know about them. So they put, but women become absolutely crazy that she's had 19 children, she still wants more, and they're happy. This is the war on marriage that I was saying before. And she um, doesn't work. She believes that she um, should stay home and take care of the children. But because of that family, more and more people are having more children. They're against abortion. And they are pro-marriage, 
pro-religion, pro-gender roles, a man is a man, a woman is a woman, and that's causing an upheaval for the feminists. Oh, I forgot, where are, the, where are the orthodox examples? Because you don't see hardly orthodox families to have, orthodox people to have big families, very rare. The Protestants are having big families, while the orthodox are having only a few children. But we've got the truth. We have all the we have the grace, and all the Protestants have is the Bible. But even from that, they seem to have more strength than a lot of Orthodox today. It's embarrassing, isn't it? Another woman said, "I like what Suzanne Venka has to say. I think women need to really listen to what she's saying. Really listen, and don't jump to conclusions. She's not sending us back in time, but forward with a fresh look at." who we really are as women. And one more woman, I almost ruined my relationship with my husband when we were dating because of my anti-man attitude. I have now completely converted. Know that you are making a difference. That's interesting. I'm not, I'm not for the dating, by the way, but I'm just saying here what they're saying. That she said that she had an anti-man attitude. Now, negative reactions... An entertainment director of that same, that oil worker, Refinery29, she said, uh, as for us ladies, well, we, got, we get a bum deal, she's been sarcastic, because it's our feminist ideals that allows guys to have lots of sex with no responsibility while we live unfulfilled, unmarried lives, supposedly dying alone and wondering why no Prince Charming ever came to rescue us from our high-powered jobs very talented of the, of the way that, that they write. But the thing is that she's been sarcastic, but I can't help thinking that it sounds true. Let's read it again. So she's, she says, well, we get a bum deal because it's our feminist ideals that allow guys to have lots of sex with no responsibilities while we live unfulfilled, unmarried lives, supposedly dying alone and wondering why no Prince Charming ever came to rescue us from our high-powered jobs. And, sorry, she's sarcastic, but I don't, I don't know why, but it just sounds true a little bit, doesn't it? And she says, if you are prone to sudden bursts of high blood pressure, maybe skip out on reading the article by Suzanne Vance, Ven- whatever. Instead, check out Jezebel's Great Takedown and all these other crazy places she's saying, on our reasons why being a woman in 2012 rocks. And not one of those that you read will include anything to do with surrendering to our feminine nature. So it's interesting. Don't read what the traditional people say. Just read all what the feminists write and say. And being a woman in 2012 rocks. And another person said... Look, this woman can say whatever the hell she wants about gender roles. It's her right, even though she's wrong. She's not saying anything that conservatives haven't been saying for decades. But for God's sake, someone needs to help her actually understand what feminism is. She says, feminists want everyone to want the same thing. So men have to want what women want. And women have to want what men want. Because... 
There's no gender differences, you see. This is the schizophrenia of it all. The very definition of feminism is that women should be free as men are to decide for themselves what is best for them. This crap is why more women don't, ident uh, don't identify as feminists. So she's calling that word there the traditional view. That's all rubbish, she says. And, it's those, and, and when people write those, that, those bad things against feminism, it makes people not become feminist. To the very upset. So, in other words, all their stuff in the media is about 99.9% .9 of content, and the rest, which might be 0.01 or 0.001 or whatever, might be traditional, and even that has to be taken out. And a response to the previous comment is there some test one could take to see if one is a feminist or not? I've read articles ranging from women wanting to exterminate most of the male population to others who say having the choice to stay at home and take care of kids is important to others who claim not having a career is a betrayal to feminism or from people who self-identify as feminists. Now, that, that's true. Within feminism, there's all these different ideas. Most of them are against men, against families, against this, against that. What's important is here is that we need to know what is the orthodox teaching. Because we're not going to get much from them. However, as I said, I need to uh, uh, explain what's out there so that people are aware of how they were brainwashed so then we can move on. Is that correct? I think so. Now, another person said, I'm going to tell you something I hope you will listen to. The notion of being a meek little housewife makes me miserable. So the notion, the idea of being a humble little housewife makes me sick, to say, in other words, miserable. Seeing the effect a traditional marriage has had on my members of family makes me miserable, not feminism. Feminism doesn't make me miserable. But the idea of a traditional marriage, which this person's saying, the ones that I saw when I was young, were horrible. Then another person said, which I had to learn the jargon, LOL. <laughs> so I had to get someone to look it up because, of course, I don't, I'm, not in, I'm not into these uh, social media. LOL, LOL means laughing out loud which is what I feel like doing when I listen to their comments. <laughs> so, LOL, yeah, more miserable. Never mind that feminism is the reason that, unlike my mum, I never had to worry about getting my own bank account without a man's permission. And unlike my grandmother, my mum and I never had to worry about getting our credit card without our husband's co-signing for it. Now, for some reason, I, don't, I didn't know all these things. must have been back in very early, back many, many decades ago. And we can say, yes, feminism or these movements might have done some good things, women's right to vote and all these type of things. But where have they gone? But see how they pick up some certain points to say, look, look what we've done. We can have our own credit card, which are all maxed out. Then we go on. Thanks to feminism, I'm not stuck at home taking care of half a dozen kids against my will. 
Forced to stay in a marriage I loathe because society makes it nearly impossible for women to leave their husbands. Thanks to feminism, I and all the women in, that, in this country have the right to vote. Believe me, we are not more miserable, as someone else already wrote. We are just trying to overcome thousands of years of history in a very short amount of time. It's going to take a lot of effort, but it's worth it. So she's saying that thousands of years women had a bad. And only in the last decades, because of feminism, now women are truly free and happy. Sometimes when I go into the city, when I've got to do some business, I notice that there's these business women who, while you know, they're walking along in the street with their suits and whatever, and I notice that they've got some type of pain on, in, in, like, on their face. And I'm wondering why they look like, it's like they're suffering, and I'm not sure what they're suffering about. And then I saw something there on the news or some type of current affair program, and I worked it out after. It's the six-inch heels that they wear. Six-inch, that's 15 centimetres. Some of them can do 15 centimetres high. That's half a ruler. And what happens there is that destroys the ankle. And not only that, a lot of them, they've got a problem with their toes. One of the toes is, is permanently on the other toe like that because they wear these skinny shoes and they have to bunch all their toes together, whatever the thing. So they've got to go to operations continually. Those surgeons are making a lot of money out of that. And these people have got a lot, they're in a lot of pain. And then I read the Lives of Saints where it says that they put shoes on them, which had nails, and they embedded them to make the saints walk in those shoes to make them suffer as a martyrdom. But these people, are they getting crowns? Are they going to be given paradise because they're torturing themselves? I don't think so. And yet, that's liberation. They are actually torturing them. Apart from that, they've, they've destroyed themselves with the makeup because a lot of those makeups are poisonous. They're having so many cosmetic surgeries to, uh, for everything. They live in fear that they're going to wake up with some blemish or some type of mark on their face, how they're going to go to work. They have to still go to work even in the, in the monthly times when women are more weak and vulnerable, which is by nature. They don't like that. They, oh, they're upset about that too. How come men don't have periods? One woman I heard on an interview said, well, in a really depressed way, well, biologically it's women that have to have babies, but she's upset. This is like, to me, hell on earth. And they say that they're free. I don't think they're free. Another person said, yeah, you're right, the, the abilities to vote 
and prosecute rape and domestic violence and demand equal pay and to Venka's apparent horror make decisions for ourselves rather than have our lives dictated by men are really hurting my feelings. Others she says, being sarcastic, that these are the good things that feminism has done. But then as she said, and have our lives dictated by men. See, that's the model that they've got, that a marriage is a man is the head and things like that, which we're going to read. What does that mean? The freedom women, as another person, the freedom women have is fairly new, merely a few decades out of, a th out of thousands of years of Western civilization. For thousands of years, women were slaves, but now they've got freedom. It will take more than a few decades to work this out. So they're saying we need a bit more time. It's going to take a while to work, to work at it. Uh, some, like this blogger, decry this freedom simply because they don't want it for themselves. But I'm sure they can make a satisfying life for themselves if they're honest about what they really want or don't want. I don't know what she's talking about. I think this lady feels diminished by a culture where she could have taken another path. But frankly, it's all in her head. Nobody cares which road she chooses. Why does she care so much about my path? That 50s lifestyle that this blogger thinks was so great existed for just a couple of generations at most. My great-grandmother, on the other hand, lived... Now, this is the part which shows you their attitude. My great-grandmother, on the other hand, lived the way women live for thousands of years, spending endless hours each day feeding and clothing ten children. Then she died in her 50s. Now, this vlaka, as we say in Greek, can't understand that a lot of women today, as we're going to see, are dying early from cancer, and a lot of it is because of their freedoms. Contraceptions and abortions, we're going to see all this soon. I don't think she worried as much about happiness as people do today. She didn't have the time nor the freedom for such indulgences. There is no way to compare her life to mine, and I'm truly lucky to have the freedom that she never have imagined. See, it's important to read a few of these things. The next person starts off with LOL. <laughs> Again. What is not included in your statistics is the reason why the divorce rate is so high now. First of all, in the 1950s, there was a severe stigma for women who got divorced. That's true. It wasn't easy like it is now. Second, women who managed to overcome the social stigma were absolutely screwed financially most women could not get a bank account on their own without a husband or father. Plus, at that point, the husband still usually got the children in a divorce, not to mention most of the property. Thus, women stayed in horrific marriages because they saw no other way out. Today, women actually do have a choice, though there still is great financial risks for any women who do leave. However, on top of that, there was no one around to teach men and women how to get along with each other in a society where both are equal. So, of course, the divorce rate is going to be high. It's going to take a long time to overcome thousands of years of history. Again, the thousands of years of history of what? Of women having all this bad luck. 
Very negative, isn't it? So women are free now, women are happier. As they, as they say, women will always want a partner. I'm afraid you are deluded there. Maybe in your head they will. I definitely choose my own will over attaining a partner. I love that one. At least she's honest. I definitely choose my own will over attaining a partner. What's the number one enemy in the orthodox spiritual life? Self-will. And what do these people are saying? Self, that they, they want to do their will. I was speaking once to a woman who was brainwashed at school by feminism. I think she even studied at, at school. And she would come to me often to talk about her problems with feminism in the way of why can't women become priests? That was one of her problems. And she found it hard that, you know, why... Is the man the head of the family and this, this, this and this. So she was brainwashed badly. In the beginning, I tried to help and spend hours and hours speaking, but I learned the hard way. And that is what St. Paul says. A heretic after the first and second admonition, meaning you've, you've told the person once, twice, leave them. Pray for them, leave them. There's no good to engage into uh, long discussions, arguing. When I speak to someone and as soon as they start to argue and I keep on going, then I'll get terrorised. You don't argue with a person who has heretical views. Now, what's a heretical view? It means views which are contrary to the church. When I was talking to her, I actually realised, I said, you know what, I think even if an angel of heaven came down and spoke to you directly and told you this is what God's teaching is regarding men, women, etc., I don't think you'll listen. She goes, no, I won't. No, no, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't even listen to that. What I noticed years later with that woman that I was speaking about, that after her many years of being tortured... She had other issues later on. And I said to her for the issue that she was talking about, I go, why don't you just ask for God's will? And then she said these horrible words, which then made me understand what was driving her feminist views. When she was talking about something, I said, why don't you pray for God's will? And she says, I don't pray for God's will, I pray for my will. That revealed to me the demon that was in her. The same demon that was driving her about the other stuff. You see, self-will, there's a demon of self-will. All our passions have demons. We all have demons that are igniting our passions. But self-will is one of the worst. Where a person can't even connect to want to know God's will. And the last one from a Facebook thing, please make the stupid people go away. There are so many things wrong with her ideology that it hurts my head and would take too long to properly explain. Let's just say that this trivia could only have been written by someone who never had to fight for equality in a workplace especially in a predominantly male industry, 
makes me wonder why we bother with the fight. So, so this person, Branka. Oh, is that a woman? Is that a female name, Branka? Hmm. Well, another woman again. Oh, yeah. We're, we're, why we had the, yeah? Why we fight? That's right. So she said here that um, she feels like her head's going to explode when she hears anything to do with uh, that's against feminism. So. After we just went through that, I know that most of you would like to have a shower and to clean yourselves of what you've heard. But let's now cleanse ourselves with the teachings of the church. So what does the church teach about uh, the roles of husbands and wives and marriage and things like that? Where are we going to get this information? I've picked, I've chosen five things. One, we have to look at the Holy Bible in the Old and New Testaments, what's been, what's taught there. But because we're not Protestants where we just use the Bible and say this is what, what it is and make our own interpretation, we just can't read just the Bible. We need also, what else? We need, number two, the lives of saints. So we read the lives of saints because the lives of saints is the Bible put into practice. And it's from the lives of saints that we get to understand the Bible better. Number three, the holy canons, which are accepted by the church universally as being without fault, as being 100% correct. Number four, the orthodox church services, and number five, the teachings of the saints, the holy elders, the holy fathers, etc. Now, I've chosen quite a few things. Let's see what St. Macarius of Optina says. He taught, No connection on earth is greater than that between man and wife. I said this last talk as well. That the relation between a man and a woman in marriage is greater than that of a parent with a child. The pain of losing a partner, meaning a spouse, is more painful, it's greater than that of losing a child. If you love your children more than your spouse, as I said last time, then there's a problem. True happiness comes when there is love between a man and a woman, and that connection is so great. Number two, the next one comes from the Bible, from the New Testament, where as soon as you hear it, you might say the feminists then are correct. Number two, in Galatians chapter 3, line 28, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So doesn't that mean that there's no difference in gender? Because St. Paul's saying there is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Is St. Paul saying that men and women are equal? We will understand as we go on. Number three, St. John Chrysostom. A certain wise man, when setting out which blessings are most important, included a wife and husband who live in harmony. So that's what St. John Chrysostom said is the, a great blessing. The most important, a wife and a husband who live in harmony. For there is no relationship between human beings as close as that between husband and wife. If they are united, 
as they should be. Nothing whatever is more precious than to be loved by a, a wife and to love her. Nothing whatever is more precious than to be loved by a wife and to love her. Now, isn't that what a lot of the problems with relationships today, that's what, that's what they talk about? Oh, I don't feel loved. Or she doesn't let me love her. Or he doesn't let me love him. Or we always fight. St. John Chrysostom, 1600 years ago, said, Harmony and love to be united. Number four, Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, lines 1 to 9. I'm not going to explain the all. I'm just going to read it so that we can get an idea of how, what the Old Testament teaches about man, men and women. And it's, this is about the temptation. And I'm going to just emphasise a couple of parts. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realised they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden." But the Lord God called to Adam, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. It's interesting that the, the, the fear, the fear comes after we've sinned. You see, people that sin live in fear. People that fix, who sin but repent and fix themselves up and reconcile with God, they don't have fear. Anyway, let's go on. And it's interesting that before, he would, he would rejoice when God would come to the garden. But now he was scared. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? God gave him an opportunity to admit his mistake, of course. The man said, the woman you gave me to be with, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Justification, in other words. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. She justified herself too. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labour, you will give birth to children. 
your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Feminists don't like that, see? Well, firstly, they don't like childbearing in the first place, but they've got a way around that now. They just do surrogacy. Just send over to Bangkok and order a baby there. That way they don't have to give birth. Oh, by the way, a lot of women also said, I don't want to give normal birth, I'm going to do cesarean. And now, what did I, what did I hear on the news? Oh, new research, the cesarean births, the child has more chance of having problems when it grows up than having a natural birth. Then to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you must not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food for it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, from dust you are, and to dust you return. So in other words, a woman, her punishment will be that she'll have children with, with, um, with difficulty and she will be obedient to her husband. The man's, the man's punishment will be that he will have to work and sweat to get his food and to um, provide for his family. Now that is, just that in itself, is anti-feminism for the, for, the, for the feminists. And especially the one about your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now we go to, that's the Old Testament, let's go to the New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 2, line 9 to 15. I also, this is St. Paul speaking. He says, I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and self-control, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or costly clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess, who profess to worship God. Now, the feminists for that say, no one's going to tell me what to wear. Wear, wear what you want. That's okay. What, but Orthodox women, Christian women, they want to know what God wants. Now, the next part, which I've underlined, a woman should learn in silence with full submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. That's another harpoon for the feminists. But one can say, but is that what it's saying? Sometimes what's written in the Bible could be written in a way that's symbolic. It can maybe mean something else. It might not mean what that. That's what some people say, Christian feminists. Now, that's not what it means. It means something else. Oh, the Adam and Eve, well, that wasn't even, you know, that's just a story, but uh, it has other meaning. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a transgressor. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love and holiness with self-control. So we see in the Old Testament, as it stands, the way it looks, a woman is to be to submit to her husband. In the New Testament, we see the same message. Now, is that what it means? Is that, what's, is that what women are meant to do? Is, is that possible? Some will say, is that possible? Maybe it does mean that, but not in the 21st century. 
Others will say, maybe it's got more meaning. Others will say this, others will say that. Yes? That's where we're coming. Yeah. I like to get all angles. I don't like leaving things undone. I like people when they leave, that they leave satisfied that they've got answers instead of saying stupid things and saying, oh, this, this, this. A man has to be the head and a woman has to be in submit. I, would, I don't just say that because then that opens up the doors for the man to think he's King Kong and then the woman to think she's a slave and all this type of... It doesn't work like that. Let's, be, let's have a look. Let's see now what Elder Epiphanius says. Now, Elder Epiphanius, as I said, he died in 1989. He's a Greek elder, very well-known spiritual father in Greece. Elder Epiphanius Theodoropoulos. He would say, the ram, meaning the male sheep, leads the flock... Thus we see that the law of nature and the written law of God agrees, which gives the leading role to the man. For Adam was, firm, was formed first, then Eve. And, quote, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man, Neither was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. 1 Corinthians 11, line 3, 8 and 9. And the other quote that he gave, for Adam was formed first and Eve was the one that we just read before. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 13. Now, this elder is quoting from the epistle of St. Timothy and he's saying literally that's what it means. Now, that's interesting there. Now, he says, well, the male sheep leads the female sheep. And he says, that we, that thus we see from the law of nature and written in law of God agrees, which gives the leading role to the man. Now, these modernists, these Darwinists, these people who believe in it, they like to say that we come from, you know, um, apes and all this stuff and that way. They always like to study animals and say, oh, look, see, Look how close we are to the animals, the animals, and the animals continue the animals. And um, it's funny that they, that they say that and continually continue about the animals and how close we are, but yet when you say to them, but wait a second, the, if we're so much like the animals, it's the male animal that leads in, in all the situations, oh, that's different. Now that's where we're not like the animals. So we're like the animals on one end, so even so they say we come from uh, apes and all that. But, but it's the male ape that leads. What do you think the feminists are going to, ask, are going to answer to that? When you say to them, well, if you go into the jungle or if you go into the animal kingdom that we supposedly, we, we know we're so close to them, we see the male leading, why is that? And you know what the feminists will say? We have to get to those female apes and teach them feminism. And then they will revolt and go against the apes, the, the male apes. And as for those sheep, they're dumb because they don't know about feminism. Once we teach them, then they will lead the male sheep. But anyway, that's what they say, I think, probably. I'm making that up, but who knows 
with them who, what comes out. Let's go on. When I was young, I had pigeons, as you know. They didn't do any gender studies. They were just <laughs> male and female. And what would happen was that the female was very submissive to the male pigeon. And when it was time for her to lay her egg, she would go into the little box that I had and had this beautiful little flower pot type of, um, what do you call those things, the little tray that you put the flower pot in, that was going to be there. And then the male would go and get the twigs and bring it back to the female. She would take it and slowly, slowly she built her nest. Anyone that went close to the female, then the, the, the male pigeon would come and start to peck and flick. And I used to like, because I used to put my hand in there, and they would attack my hand with flicking and pecking, and that was the male, right? But of course, those pigeons never had the luxury of learning about feminism. So we go on. You cannot... Uh, now, the next one, again, Elder Epifanios, he urged spouses, you cannot put to a public vote or ask the members of the family or the relatives or friends about something which your husband says even if this does not seem correct to you. So he's saying you've got a situation in which the husband said something, you don't agree, the woman doesn't agree. You can't go around to your friends and other members of the family and say, oh, look, I don't agree and we should tell him that he's wrong, whatever, all this type of thing. He says, you will voice your opinion, but you will allow him to undertake his responsibilities. I like that part there. You will voice your opinions. And a proper male listens to his wife and they discuss, as you're going to hear in the next one. One day, an engaged couple who were spiritual children of Elder Epiphanius visited him. They came to him so that he could solve a difference of opinion they had. Who's to obey the other after marriage? The young man insisted that the woman had to obey the husband in everything. The young woman, however, would not agree with this viewpoint. The older, after listening to them carefully, addressed the young woman and told her, Listen, my child, it's natural for a couple to have different viewpoints on certain matters. This is unavoidable and logical. Obviously, that's going to happen. This always occurs between two people. So when in a couple there is a different viewpoint on a certain subject and each one insists that his own will be done, then, as you understand, a breakup will occur. Therefore, one of the two must give in. Now listen, it is to your advantage to give in. If your husband's viewpoint is correct, then the result will be good for the whole family. If, however, his viewpoint was wrong then of course the result would not be good, then he will be forced to say, why did I insist on my way? And why didn't I allow what my wife said to be done? And if this repeats two or three times that he's wrong, then without you insisting and creating trouble, he will not always do his own will. Therefore, it is to your advantage in both cases that you give in, in other words, to submit. Thus the elder gave on the, on the one hand to the man the leading role of responsibility and initiative, while at the same time protecting him from the egotistical viewpoint, I am the man and whatever I say goes. 
What do you think of that? And actually, St. John Chrysostom says the same. Give your opinion. See, I'm in charge of the, of the monastery. So, ultimately, my decision is the last decision. I'm responsible. I make the wrong decision. That could be, that could be tragic. See, I understand the position that I'm in. However, I can ask the others, what do you think? Not only that, sometimes I might be thinking of something and the person who's second in charge can say to me, you know, respectfully, um, I kind of don't think that's correct. And I say, why? Why do you think? And listen to that and think about it. Think, pray, and then think and say, okay, you know what? He's got a point there. I'm going to do that. Or... No, I don't agree with that. And if I'm wrong, that's my responsibility. That's my decision. I'm going to make the mistake. I'm going to pay the consequences. It's like at school or in hospital. You've got the head doctor. Ultimately, his decision is the last decision. He can take advice. And someone else can say to him, listen, doctor, that's not a good... I don't think you're doing the right thing. And he can listen if he's humble. Listen. Think about it. And he can say, okay, yeah, you've got a point. It doesn't matter if the person's junior. Or he can say, yes, no, I've thought about it and I've st- I'm still going to go ahead with the decision that I made. If he stuffs up, then he's the one who will then become and say, okay, um, not, not, it doesn't mean that everything that I think is correct. See, the same with the man in, in a marriage. Now, back to Maria's question is, well, what happens if something is really bad? Something that is not good. See, I always try to counsel women to say, just listen. But sometimes I've noticed that, no, look, that decision that he wants to do is catastrophic. That's not a good decision. The some, you know, some men could have some mental problems. They could have like a bipolar or something like that where they're making decisions. I'm going to sell the house and buy a caravan and take my family around Australia. And silly things like that. So how does a woman do that? Well, that's what, that's what, these are the questions we have to, um, have to answer as we go on today and on the next talk because the fathers give us answers to these things and the other thing is a question that I've got is we're starting to see now that there is a um, thing that the church is saying that yes woman is to submit the man is the head etc but what's the balance that is to exist between a husband and wife how can a husband know when he's overstepped or, or abused his authority exactly what does that mean Father John Christiankin, who passed away in 2006, he wrote, let's see what he thinks. So we've got a, uh, we had a Greek elder. Now let's go to a, um, a Russian one. You should bring to mind and be conscious of the vows you took upon yourself in the wedding sacrament. He's talking to a man. Now listen to the next words. You are the head of the family. 
And it is your responsibility to take care of your family's spiritual and material well-being. You yourself should think and act in this way without fail. May God give you wisdom. He also said it. You are the head of the family. Father Epiphanius said, you are the head of the family to the man. But so as not to be, um, uh, let's, let's look at something else. Now someone else, Elder Thaddeus, Serbian, great spiritual father. He passed away in 2003. He lived in our times. He said, often there is no unity or oneness of mind in our families because wives and mothers transgress the commandment of obedience to their husbands. God wants married people to be of one mind. By disobeying God's commandment, they create an atmosphere of Hades in their homes. Which commandment? To be obedient to the husband. Look, that's a commandment. When a woman does that, then it creates hell in the home. That's what he says. Remember, I'm telling you what they're saying. Now, some of you say, well... I'm not sure, I don't know much about Elder Thaddeus. I don't know who this Elder Epiphanius is. I like Elder Paisius. He's famous now. There's books about him. He's going to be canonised soon. He's one of the most popular saints throughout the Orthodox world because his books have been translated into Russian, Romanian, Bulgarian, English, everything. So, so much. And he's become quite a popular saint. Let's see what he says. Other priests would say, the beginning of a Christian family's breakdown is when a woman keeps her maiden name. God's blessings go, uh, goes away and confusion takes its place. One child takes the name of the mother and the other of the father and the family begins to fall apart. A woman told me that she was at work and they're having a meeting and they're having their lunch and then one woman said, when I get married, I want to take my husband's name. The other jackals went crazy there and they were saying there, no, 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 that's, no, no, that's not what we fought for and going on and on and on. Like those Alfred Hitchcock's birds. If some of you know, they've watched those old movies where all these birds came and attacked. That's how they are. They're like the attack. And they were saying there, no, you can't do that. And the woman was all quiet and scared and then when she walked, when the other, when the jackals walked away, then she said to the other, "Goes, well, but that's what I want." She was scared to say it in front of them, just in case they peck her. Now let's see what Elder Paisu said. Another one: a monk must neglect himself and his life to for the sake of others. He's saying that a monk doesn't live for himself. The monk lives for others, sacrifices for others. But a head of the family cannot do the same because he has a wife and children and in accordance with the law of God must first of all take care of them and only the remainder can be spared for others. So he's saying here, a monk can sacrifice because only taken care of himself, so therefore he can, he, has to, he can serve others. But a man cannot spread himself out thin. First of all, because he's the head of the family, he has to sacrifice for his wife and children. 
and if there's a little bit of energy and time left over, he can help others. Number one is his family, because he is the head. And one more from Elder, no, two more from Elder Paisios. Elder Paisios said, God has created all things in wisdom. He has granted man with certain virtues and women with other virtues. What does this show? Men with certain virtues and women with other virtues. This is not what they're saying about this gender equality that's the same. That men are the same as women. We're not talking about rights. We're talking about men are the same as women. There's no difference. Elder Pais was saying that men have been created with their virtues and women have been created with their virtues as well. He has granted man strength and manliness so that he can manage when things are difficult and so that the woman will submit to his leadership. For if God had also given the woman the same manliness, the family wouldn't thrive. So here we're going into detail. And Elder Bishop is saying that men have been given this strength and this manliness because they have to lead, manage when things are difficult, and women, because of their nature, submit to that leadership and that manliness. I'll give you a little story quickly. Because of feminism, the, we, we saw this creation of what's called metrosexual man. That's a man who's got similar thing, like they pluck their eyebrows, they wear makeup too, who knows, and their clothes and this and that, like the feminised type of man anyway. Not a transsexual, but a, a man, could be a heterosexual, but he's got these qualities. It's called metrosexual. Anyway, what happened was I heard that the women are basically saying that they find those men quite revolting, and that they'd rather have a man with a beard and more rugged and things like that. A woman told me, he goes, I've noticed in the magazines before, they used to have a lot of the men clean-shaven, but lately I'm noticing more and more that in the magazines are men with beards. That's interesting. We're going to come to that later on, because the canons actually speak about beards as well, because the beard makes a man look like a man. Elder Paisio said, For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. Ephesians chapter 5, line 23. God has determined that man should be the head of the household. For the woman to be the head instead of the man is disdain for God. So Elder Pais just quotes the Bible, the epistles of St. Paul, and says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. Then he said, God has determined that man should be the head of the household. For the woman to be the head, instead of man, is disdain for God, or disrespect for God, or disregard for God. God first made Adam... And then Eve. And Adam, in seeing his wife, said, quote, 
This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she has been, she was taken out of man. Genesis chapter 2, line 23. So, Elder Baesios says that man is the head of the family and the head of the woman. Elder Thaddeus, Elder Epiphanios, Father John Christiankin, so far we see all these recent elders, these miracle workers, these holy people, who are saying, who are quoting from the Bible and saying, no, these things aren't symbolic. This is exactly what it says in the Bible. St. Gregory the theologian, now we're going to an old one day, he, he lived about 1,600 years ago. He wrote to a woman, um, to Olympias, and he advised her, said, first of all, you must respect and love God. And immediately after him, you must respect and love your husband in the same manner as our Lord and Saviour in accordance with the instructions of our holy gospel. Now, someone can read that and say, what, what, what's he saying? That you have to love your husband in the same way as you love our Lord and Saviour. Does that mean that we have to look at our husband as God? And people, because they haven't got a new new, as we say, they haven't got a, a brain, don't understand what that means. Now, when you read in the Bible, doesn't it say in there that when you give to the poor, or when you visit the sick, or when you go and visit someone in jail, it's like you are doing it to me. So Christ even himself says that the person that you're visiting is him. And we know from the lives of saints, for example, that uh, when we give to the poor, it says there that you are given to Christ because the poor person is Christ. What does that mean? Well, the person's in the image of God. And we get mixed up because we don't know what we're reading. Obviously, the man is not God. It says, in the same manner. And we'll go on to that when we do more on St. John Chrysostom in the next talk. And St. Tikhon of Zadonsk was very interesting. As I said, he's called the Russian Chrysostom. He said, a man must not treat his wife as a slave, but as a helpmate. But the wife ought to submit to her husband. Now that's, some people say, that contradicts. So a woman is submitting to the man, but at the same time she's looked at as a helpmate and the man doesn't, is, not, is not said to that, that she's his slave. As the apostle teaches, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord, and a little further, and let the wife see that she fears her husband. Ephesians chapter 5.33. And in, in another place, wives submit yourselves to your husbands as appropriate for those who belong to the Lord, Colossians chapter 3, line 18. Now, some of you would have pricked up your ears and said, fear, what does this mean? Doesn't that show that it's bad? Most Bibles today, they don't use the word fear, they use the word respect. The Greek word, the proper word, is fear. Now, why are women meant to fear their husbands? And unfortunately, 
people don't understand what that means. It doesn't mean fear in the sense of fear. It's another type of fear, which St. John Chrysostom explains beautifully in his homilies on marriage, what fear means. We say, even though it doesn't exist much anymore, we say, oh, I had such fear for my father. I really respected him. What did the fear mean? What was that fear? Ah, yes, I feared my teacher. I loved my teacher. I learned so much. I was really, I had such respect for that teacher. Respect together with fear. Yes, you fear. Fear what? Fear that you could upset them. Fear, we have to, under, we have to really analyse what that fear means. And don't listen to the feminists which take that part and go, see, Christianity, it's saying the woman has to fear the man. And they say, I don't fear no one. But they do fear. They fear themselves. Is there a break now? Yep. Um, so I'll just read the line that Colossians chapter 3, 18 to 19. It says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is appropriate for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. All this has a lot of meaning. And that's why this is going to take the rest of this talk today and another four hours for the next talk. Now, when, some of you might ask, when is the next talk? Well, because tomorrow is a public holiday, I was thinking, would you like to have it after midnight? Would you like to stay for the, uh, the four hours then? I don't think so. But we'll wait until couple of more months and then we'll finish the uh, the talk. Now have a, just a three minute break just for waters and things like that. Go quickly. Okay. Ready? Let's go to St. Cosmas of Etolia. He passed away in 1779. And he says, man, remember that he lived under the Turks, so therefore he uses examples, he uses examples which are like to do with Turk during that time. Let's see what St. Cosmas taught. He said, man should be like a king and a woman like a Vizia. What that is, is under Ottoman rule, uh, Vizia was a high-ranking political advisor or minister, but he was under the authority of the Sultan, who was the supreme ruler. So he's saying just like the Sultan was the supreme ruler of the Turkish Empire, then he had his advisors. They were still high-ranking, and they were called Viziers. And he said, a man should be like a king and a woman like a vizier. That is, man as the head and woman as the body. Then God blesses the man, the woman and the children and doesn't lay upon you any evil thing, neither magics, knots, nor any spell. In this way you will live here on earth and you'll go to paradise and rejoice forever. 
So St. Cosmas also took that same model. But it's interesting, at first when I read it, I couldn't understand why he used that word, the vizia. Why? It's got to do with what we read earlier, with what the other saints were saying, that a, a man needs to take advice from his wife and even though he's the head and ultimately he's responsible for the family and he'll give word if he makes the wrong decision, but he should still take the advice of his wife. And a man that doesn't do that is not really proper. He's like an egotist. And those marriages, by the way, don't hardly last anyway. There's no humility. So, yes, he says you have the man like the king and the woman like a vizier. And what is that? A person who was an advisor. And the sultan would listen to his advisors. Just like the president of the United States or the prime minister of Australia. They are the, the head. However, they have their advisors. St. John Chrysostom said, St. Paul places the head in authority and the body in obedience for the sake of peace. I'm going to read it again, but I'm going to put brackets. St. Paul places the head, the husband, in authority and the body, the wife, in obedience to the husband for the sake of peace. Where there is equal authority, there never is peace. A household cannot be a democracy ruled by everyone, but the authority must necessarily rest in one person. Now, does that make sense? As I said, if we look at society, we see that. There is, uh, in a, like a platoon, whatever you call it, one sergeant. There was one general to do with his army, one headmaster or headmistress, one head teacher, one head doctor. Even for those people that, like Olympic or those Olympic people, they have one coach. That person, he is the authority. How come it's okay in those situations? One CEO of a company. We have a CEO, a vice president. One bishop, one priest who is the, in charge of the parish. There might be two other, three other priests, but one is in charge. The others do what they are told, even though they're priests. So everywhere that we look throughout society, we see this but the feminists say that's okay, but not in the marriage. In the marriage, there's two heads, they're saying. No body. So the saints are saying the head is the man, the body is the woman. Can a head be without a body? No. Can a body be without a head? No. But for feminists, you can have two-headed creatures which have no body. 
and they think that that's going to live. And what have they found? It doesn't, doesn't work. In Scripture, St. John Christum says, both in the Old and New Testaments, which we just read a little bit from each, men are given far greater authority. In the Old Testament, it's written, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you, Genesis 3.16. In the New Testament, St. Paul gives husbands superior authority when he says, husbands, love your wives and let the wife see that she respects her husband or, in other translations, fears her husband. St. Paul also says, the husband is the head of the wife and the wife should submit to her husband. Ephesians chapter 5, line 23 to 24. St. John Chrysostom is repeating exactly what the other elders said that lived in our times. And as I said in the last talk, out of all the apostles, the apostle Paul wrote the most on marriage, and of all the saints... It was St. John Chrysostom who interpreted the Apostle Paul's words on marriage. What, what St. John Chrysostom says is law. Now, you can't say, oh, but he said that 600 years and times have changed according to one feminist. We live in different times now. We have to change the gender roles to suit today's modern society. And, oh, what was said, even some Christian... Feminists might say, oh, that was 1,600 years ago. But we have the elders who are full of the grace of God who lived in our times, and they say exactly the same. Well, let's go on. Elder Ephraim, who's still alive. By the way, he's got a new book out, The Art of Salvation. The Art of Salvation, and I recommend people to get that very beautiful, like, a, like he's written it, uh, most of it's for lay people, a little bit of a section at the end, I think, for monastics. And it's a wonderful book, but I'm saying it for the sake of those on the tape. So Elder Ephraim, he wrote the following. In our days, there is much talk concerning equality of men and women. Remember who Elder Ephraim is. Elder Ephraim is the one who established 18 monasteries, I think, 80, 19, in, a, in North... Hmm? It's up to 20, is it? Good. 20 monasteries in Northern America... Four monasteries, I think he revitalised in Mount Athos and other women monasteries in Greece. A true saint, even though a lot of people go against him as well. But you cannot ignore a person that's established. You can't, unless you had God's grace, there's no way you can establish even anything that's got of significance. And a monastery is very difficult. And he's, and he's established so many of them. Anyway, he said, In our days there is much talk concerning equality of men and women. However, the struggles for this equality in the so-called feminist movement have appeared quite late. For 20 centuries now, Christianity has resolved the problem. How? It abolished discrimination. It honoured the female gender with value equal to that of a man. Value to that of a man. Furthermore, it honoured a particular woman with a claim that no man ever had or will have. 
This woman is the most holy Theotokos. Remember that before Christ, women were considered like animals in, the pagan, in paganism. It was Christianity which brought the woman up and made her equal to man. Now, this is interesting. Now, you might say, but you just said that that's what the um, feminists are saying. You said that, that that's wrong. But we're missing the point. Equal to man, not the same as man, meaning men have their characteristics, women have their responsibilities. Men have their responsibilities, women have their responsibilities. But in God's eyes, they're equal. And no one brought up the woman like Christianity. If you read the canons, you'll see... Christianity in the church does not use gender, does not use social status, does not use education, material wealth or intelligence as criteria to rate and assess people. It grades and evaluates them using a single criterion, holiness. In the eyes of God, there is no male or female. There are only people who are sinful and repentant, impious and pious, holy and holier. That's what St. Paul means. There's neither male nor female. In God's eyes, man and woman are equal in value for what of, of their soul. But that doesn't mean they have the same functions the same responsibilities, the same virtues, the same characteristics. That's where those genderless fem feminists have gone wrong. Christianity has always believed that men are equal to female. Uh, men are, oh, but then if that's the case, then why can't women become priests? So they think that because a woman can't become a priest, it means that she is of less value than a man even though the whole church venerates the most holy Theotokos is a woman. No woman on earth has been venerated like the most holy Theotokos. No woman. But why did God choose to the male sex to become a man? This is the madness. So then if he chose the female, what, what would then you say? Then others would say, why did he create a man first? Why didn't he create a woman first? These are demonic, satanic questions. So we'll say that again. In the, in the Orthodox Church, men and women are equal in value but still different in their ways. St. Gregory the theologian, he wrote a letter to a newly married woman. St. Gregory the theologian passed away in 391, so it's 4th century. And this was his gift to this woman who just got married, because this is my gift to you. And I'm just taking a couple of parts from his big letter. He said, he wrote to her, be aware that you are a woman and you have an important and great purpose and destiny. However, your purpose and destiny 
is different to that of your husband who must be the head of your household. Straight to the point. Again, the same things. Your husband must be the head of the household. But he said to her, you have an important and great purpose and destiny. Now, the feminists say, but if she's not the head, then how is that great? But of course, they don't know. The first shall be last. Whoever wants to be first, let them be servant of all. So the man might be first, but in reality, even I'm giving you a little bit of a clue, which I shouldn't, I was going to for the time. Even though the man is first, in point of actual fact, he's the slave of all. And we're going to go into that into more detail. That's very, very, very important. Forget about the silliness of equality among the sexes that some of your contemporaries preach and try to understand the obligations of marriage. I was surprised when I read that. He actually, this is talking about 1,600 years ago, that even in those times there was some of this equality business going on. Why? Because it's the same. This thing of men, women, is the same. Equality, see how he said it? Equality of the sex. It says, forget about this stupidity. In the realisation of these obligations, you will discover the great patience and endurance that is necessary to fulfil your family duties. It is in this manner that you will also discover the great strength that you as a woman possess. This is not talking about women as being some type of second rate or some type of a, a worthless creature, which is what they say that Christianity does. St Gregory the theologian great holy father his ecumenical teachers we say his teachings are recognised by the whole church and uh, he, he says that a woman has great strength you must surely be aware of how easily anger overtakes men now he's going on to talk about the weakness of men and one of it is the anger which is part of their nature they can't hold back and they often appear as wild lions. It is at this exact moment that a woman must remain stronger and display her superiority. You must play the role of the lion tamer. What does a lion tamer do when the beast starts roaring? The lion tamer becomes even calmer than usual and through kindness and persistence uh, overcomes the anger of the lion. The lion tamer speaks to him kindly, speaks to him kindly in a soft but firm voice, strokes it, attends to it, pats it, like, and little by little, calmness is restored. So St. Gregory the theologian is comparing the man to a lion and the woman to a lion tamer. And as we know, when someone loses themselves and become angry, that's a weakness. And he's saying, but the woman should be superior and not to go along the same way, but try to tame the lion, to calm the lion down. You must never criticise, tell off or belittle your husband for something that he did wrong. 
Likewise, you must avoid any disrespect towards any inaction or indecision by your husband, even when the outcome is not favourable or something that you greatly desire or consider proper. He's, he's saying here, for well, that's important, never criticise, tell off, belittle your husband because, they, because he did something wrong. Now, you might say, oh, yeah, but why is it that, how about the, the man does something wrong? The same advice. It says that the man should not belittle, criticise his wife. But we're talking about now the advice to a woman. And when your husband has made a wrong decision or is not acting on the way he should act, uh, that, which doesn't suit what you want, he said you must not um, go against that. Be aware that demons are always around attempting to penetrate your household and break up the couple's harmonious spiritual unity. And that's correct. I like that advice. Share everything, including joy and sorrow. The holy sacrament of marriage means that everything is common to both of you. Like we heard in St. John Christum last time, where he says, you can't say that's mine. All the daily obligations and duties of running the household are common. This is the only way that a strong foundation will be built for your marriage. Let both of you provide your views and opinions. In the end, however, allow your husband to have the final say. There it is again. Let both of you provide your views. A proper man will sit down with his wife and discuss, listen to her view, listen to her argument, what she's saying, then she listens to his. She can object if she doesn't think that it's correct. However, at the end of the day, unless it's something that's dangerous or something that's outrageous, she submits. Because one person's got to be in charge. Sometimes a priest might say to me, not here, but somewhere else, might say, oh, um, such and such happened in the diocese, I don't know, something like that. And I say, you go, you, you say to the bishop, he's in, he's in charge. He'll give word to God. Let him. But what happens if he doesn't do anything about it? That's his business. Your duty is to tell that person. If that bishop makes the wrong decision or doesn't, or doesn't act on what he should act, You've done your duty. You see, in the army, they say, orders are orders. Many times, soldiers don't agree with the orders they're given. But they're not permitted to rebel against their superior commander. That's not allowed. It's the worst, the most horrible thing of them all. Unless they're being ordered to do something which is against the rules of the, that, that, that are there. So I'll read that again. Let both of you provide your views and opinions. In the end, however, allow your husband to have the final say. When you observe your husband to be sorrowful, share in his sorrow and provide him the needed relief. 
Supporting some, so what I wrote here is supporting someone who's close to you in times of sorrow and despair is of great value and relief to them, especially one's spouse. That's what that's what St. Gregory means. And when you see your husband's upset, sorrowful, then you are in a very good position to pick that person up, to help. That's what the meaning of marriage is. One picks the other up. Immediately, however, let your facial expressions become calm, clear and collected. Let peace prevail upon your manner and avoid the temptation of any thoughts of despair. So if your husband says something which sounds hopeless or something, you don't go there and go, yeah, yeah, that's right, that, that's, you know, and add fuel to the fire. The wife is the calm harbour for the storm-tossed husband. In other words, storm-tossed, meaning for a husband who's tossed about in the troubled sea of life. So a woman has a lot of power where she can have a calming effect on her husband. Now, some will say, of course, there that, well, how about the woman? Isn't she tossed about in the sea of life? No, not to the same extent because she's not in the position of the ultimate responsibility which falls on the husband. See, women want to be first, but then when they're crushed by a lot of the responsibilities involved in being first, then suddenly they get upset. Like these other amateurs around, they might say, oh, I want to be in a position of being in charge of something like a person in an office. And they look at the supervisor and they go, I can do a better job than that supervisor. I can be really good. I can, you know, I can do a, a better job. I can help it. I'm, it will be more productive. They're hanging out for that position of being the number one. Then as soon as they get it, then all of a sudden they realise that they can't handle it and they get crushed because they want it prematurely. It's the same. Why would someone want to have a position of ultimate responsibility when it's so crushing? Like a parish priest. So hard. He's got to be responsible. All his decisions is going to give a lot of word. His deacon doesn't have those responsibilities. They go home a bit more relaxed. And the chanters and the readers and all these other people. But the priest has the whole weight so everyone runs, I want to be first, I want to be in charge, like amateurs. And now pay close attention and be mindful of the following advice. You must never be an example of or have an uncontrollable desire for the flesh, that's the sexual aspect, persuade your husband to respect the holy days of the church and the fasting periods, which we did in the last talk. Persuade. Not force, persuade. And we're going to be doing more on that in a future talk on abstinence and things like that. Now let's look at St. Peter's epistle. I'm going to read it quickly to see what does St. Peter say, the apostle, in his first epistle, chapter 3, lines 1 to 7. Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not believe the word of God, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives, when they see your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, 
the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. But before, see, you look at those people, look at these magazines of these women and models, and they, firstly, they're all touched up, as I've said before, but let's just say, and let's just say they're truly, it's a beautiful woman and she looks so perfect in the body. Do people actually ask what's in that body? Do people actually ask what's in that heart? What, what, what is that? And that just shows a person that's shallow, that only looks at the external. And so John Christen talks about that. Why would you marry a person just because they're beautiful, handsome, whatever? Look for the virtues. Look what's in the person. Anyway, rather it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord, whose daughter you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Likewise, you husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to the wife as the weaker vessel. In other words, as the weaker person. That part's not very nice as well. People, feminists don't like that. That men are to consider their wives as a weaker vessel. What does that mean? That's going to be coming soon and more in the next talk. Because St. John Christum talks about that too. But what, how did St. Peter start? Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Same message. Now, let's look at Archimandrite Emilianos of Simono Petra, Mount Athos. He wrote an article, or he delivered a sermon in 1971, Marriage the Great Sacrament. I've already read from his, um, from his sermon. He's still alive. He was the abbot. Now I think he's, he's retired the ab- as, as abbot. He says, the wife expresses love for her husband through obedience. Now, that's a bit t- troublesome, isn't it? So if a wife loves her husband, then she'll be obedient. Again, on a shallow level, that looks like misery. It's horrible. It doesn't, it, it doesn't bring happiness and things like that. But that's where people are wrong. And the next talk, I'm going to be doing more detail on obedience. It's funny, you know, that people read books in the lives of saints and they read that elder and how that person was obedient we read Elder Porfirios, how he was obedient to his two elders that he had there in Mount Athos. And because he was so obedient that he was flooded with the grace of the Holy Spirit and the Jesus prayer started within him of its own. So he actually acquired in a very short time, something which has taken other monks decades to obtain. Elder Porfirios obtained it quickly and Elder Siluanos, the Russian saint that lived in the monastery of St. Badalim on Manathos, same thing, which his feast that was a few weeks ago, a few days, he, we read in his life that because of his obedience, he was given grace abundantly. So we read these things. And then we've got people that are a bit deceived and go, oh, I wish I wasn't married. I wish I could go into a monastery so I can receive all that grace that I read about. And then they forget, but the grace comes from obedience. 
and you've got your chance to be obedient. For example, a woman has a chance to be obedient to her husband. We have a chance to be obedient in the world. Men have a chance to be obedient too. But for some reason, we, we don't take that chance. We don't take that opportunity to be obedient so we can receive God's grace. Instead, we want to go off into some monastery or in the desert and be obedient to the angels or some other stupidities like that, yet we can't even be obedient here. Slow down 60 kilometres. No, sorry, I'm in a hurry. We go forward. Even that, even that's obedience. Pay your taxes. And I'll put a bit extra in for my telephone. Get some more um, tax deductions. Even that, we can be obedient. Be obedient by helping your family. There's so many opportunities to be obedient. But we miss out on that, don't we? So the wife expresses love for her husband through obedience. She's obedient to him exactly as the church is to Christ. It is her happiness to do the will of her husband. Attitude, stubbornness and complaining are all are the axes which chop down the tree of marital happiness. Elder Emilianos is saying that where this doesn't exist, this obedience in the marriage, he believes that you can't have marital happiness. The husband should remember that his wife has been entrusted to him by God. His wife is a soul which God has given to him and one day he must return it. He loves his wife as Christ loves the church. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. Ephesians chapter 5, line 25. The husband protects her, takes care of her, gives her security, particularly when she's distressed or when she's ill. We know how sensitive a woman's soul can be, which is why the apostle urges husbands to honour their wives, quote, from 1 Peter chapter 3, line 7, which, is, which we just heard. Likewise, you husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to the wife as to the weaker vessel, to the weaker person. Still equal, but that's part of the characteristic of a woman to have certain weaknesses. We already heard some of the men's weaknesses too. A woman's soul gets wounded, is often petty, in other words, concerned about trivial matters. Anyone who's married knows that. It's changeable. Women change their minds more than men and can suddenly fall into despair. Thus, the husband should be full of love and tenderness and make himself her greatest treasure. Marriage, my dear friends, is a little boat which sails through the waves and among rocks. If you lose your attention even for a moment, it will be wrecked. It takes effort to keep a marriage. One has to be vigilant, looking out. What am I doing? Am I doing right? Am I taking care of my wife? Am I taking care of my children? Is there anything that's going to happen to wreck up my, my uh, marriage or my family? People don't think about this. They just go forward. Everyone's too busy making money and, and, um, and going and doing all these other things, uh, recreation, watching plenty of videos, doing whatever they're doing, but not much effort in focusing on the one thing, which is the marriage. Now, we said, all because a woman is weak in certain aspects 
of her being, it doesn't mean she's not equal. That's her characteristic. It says that. We are, and you people that are married, you know. Now, it can be that sometimes men are weak. And that's a, an, that's a, a problem which needs to be dealt with at a later talk. But in general, that's, the, that's what Saint... That's what Elder Emilianos is saying. That's what St. Peter in his epistle is saying. That's what all the fathers say. And so marriage is a road. It starts out from the earth and ends in heaven. It's a joining together, a bond with Christ, who assures us that he will lead us to heaven to be with him always. Marriage is a bridge leading us from earth to heaven. It is as if the sacrament is saying, Above and beyond love, above and beyond your husband, above and beyond your wife, above and beyond the everyday events, remember that you are destined for heaven, that you have set out on a road which will take you there without fail. Now we're going to the spiritual meaning of marriage. Marriage is a means for one to be saved. Others choose monasticism. Others might have to choose being single in the world. But nevertheless, each has their own way of obtaining salvation. But marriage, since we're talking about that today, that's the way that, is it like it's a marriage, is a bridge leading us from earth to heaven. And the last paragraph, the bride and the bridegroom give their hands to one another during the marriage ceremony, and the priest takes hold of them both and leads them around the table dancing and singing three times, not dancing in the sense that we know, but dancing in the way of walking around, three times while the chanters are chanting. They, they are chanting three things. Now he said marriage is a movement, a progression, a journey which will end in heaven in eternity. The first thing that they sing as they're going around the first time around the table is the hymn to the mother of God, second hymn to the martyrs, and the third hymn to the apostles to imitate the apostles and the saints, to be as the martyrs, to endure all, and as the mother of God has been the example of all Christians. That's the purpose. The feminists don't understand that. They don't understand marriage as being something which leads us to heaven, because to them heaven is here. Now there might be some Christian feminists which believe in heaven, but their understanding of it is not orthodox. We're looking today at an orthodox understanding of marriage and not their stupidities. When a couple understand that their marriage has been given to them as a means to be saved, then everything starts to make sense. When people haven't got salvation in their head as their aim, then nothing makes sense. That's what I've noticed. You talk to couples, you try to talk, talk, talk. They don't understand why. Because they don't have, one of them or both of them, don't have salvation as their aim. Their, their, their aim is to educate their children or to get a better house or to buy a nicer car or to get a better job. These are the things that people are looking at. Not salvation and they wonder why their marriages go down the toilet. You might say, how are you speaking like that? It's really coarse. But you won't forget it, will you? That's for sure. St. <laughs> Tikhon of Zdonsk. We see, St. Tikhon says, we see in history 
How many wives have corrupted their husbands and brought them down with them to destruction? This is again going on to how powerful a woman can be. Weaker vessel, but as well powerful. For this reason, husbands should not give in to their wives and allow them to do whatever they want, but they should restrain their disorderly desires so that they don't suffer likewise, as these examples in history. The serpent approached Eve and tempted her. Eve, being tempted, then tempted Adam and brought him down to ruin after her. So it is now the same ancient serpent, in other words, the devil, approaches the woman and tempts her, and through the woman draws her husband into sinful deeds. Now, some of you might get offended with some of those things. And don't worry, I've seen a lot of examples of men that are tempted and cause destructions in their marriages. We're looking here at the essence, the characteristics of a man and a woman. Women are more susceptible to certain temptations. For example, during certain times of the month, we all know that, or you that are married would know much better, would know that uh, women are more open to temptation. They're more prone to anger. They're more prone to paranoia. They're more prone to being illogical at times, making things up that once that time has passed, then they say, it doesn't concern me anymore. A lot of men have learnt, it's not putting women down, it's just a fact, a lot of men have learnt not to engage during that time, but just wait a few days for it to pass. Because a lot of times after that, there's no issue. That's why the church has that time that a woman doesn't go to church and things like that because she's filthy and all these type of things. Because she, that's why the Greeks say that the, uh, and in the nuns, the nuns usually go, oh, she's sick today. She's sick today. The feminists don't like that, the fact that they menstruate, sorry for the expression. They don't like that. They want that gone. They don't want to give birth to children, so they want that gone. Sorry, it sounds like then, what do they want? Oh, they want, they want to be men then. But they, but they hate men. And they, and they don't like, so I don't know what they want to be. So they don't want to be women, but they hate the men. So they want to be, oh, that's right, the, um, the new language in the truth. They want to be it's. Husbands, beware, and do not perform the will and counsel of your wife in everything, lest she rule over you and lead you wherever she wills. Eve always had her own character, love her insofar as it's not contrary to God. According to the word of the apostle, let her reverence you and not you her. Let her be obedient to you and not you to her. In other words, it's saying when it says not to reverence, of course a man's going to reverence his wife. What it means is that the man has to keep his position as being the head. 
Yes, he listens to his wife. Yes, he gets advice from his wife. Yes, he, he cares what his wife wants. But at the same time, he has to be aware of that he makes the ultimate decision at the end. He makes the final decision. If he stuffs up, as I said before, uh, then uh, he has to pay the consequences for that. A woman, of course, to answer Maria's question, just in case someone doesn't go to the next talk, is to say, you listen to anything and everything which isn't against God's law. If a man demands from a woman something which is unnatural, for example, or something which is against God's law, she says no. Many women said no, and they were even killed for it, and they went and became martyrs and great saints. You do not submit to what is against God's law. A woman rang me up and said that she's very upset with her husband because she wants to buy a Dyson vacuum cleaner and he doesn't want it. But she's still going to do it. And I said to her, is that dogmatic? Is that like a moral issue? What's that? He goes, but I've got, a, I've got allergies and I need the Dyson because they've got a 99.9% dust type of thing and all this type of stuff, going through all the specs. And uh, so I said to her, but why don't you do the following? Why don't you pray that he be enlightened to understand that you have that need? instead of going all this, all these crazy things going around and then causing more friction, friction, since her husband was quite volatile. Now, from doing that, people learn how to pray. We solve our problems a lot of times through prayer, not through rebellion and through disobedience and things like that. A person can become holy with the, by having a pest as a husband or wife because they've got to be con- cont- continually praying for that person to be enlightened and through that they become holy. So many opportunities. What does the marriage service say? So the deacon says, let us pray to the Lord, and the people will answer, Lord, have mercy, the choir. Now let's see what the priest reads. One of the prayers I'm going to read to you to see, does the Orthodox marriage service agree with what we just heard? Man is the head and women to be submissive and all that. Let's see. Priest says, blessed are you, O Lord, our God, the priest of mystical and pure marriage and the ordainer of the law of the marriage of the body, the preserver of immortality and the provider of good things. As the same master who in the beginning made man and set him to be, as it were, a king over creation and said, it is not good for man to be alone on the earth. Let us make a helpmate for him and take in one of his ribs, you fashioned woman, which when Adam beheld, he said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cling to his wife, and, and the two shall be one flesh. Those whom God has joined together, let not man put asunder, in other words, separate. Now, this next part, pay attention. 
Now also, O Master, our Lord and God, and our God, send down your heavenly grace upon these your servants, then he says the name of the male, and then then the woman, and grant that this your handmaid, the woman, may in all things be subject unto her husband, and that this your servant may be the head of his wife, that they may live according to your will. Then the priest blesses. He says, Bless them, O Lord, our God, as you blessed Abraham and Sarah. And then he blesses again. Bless them, O Lord, our God, as you blessed Isaac and Rebekah. And then again he blesses. Bless them, O Lord, our God, as you blessed Joachim and Anna. And then again, bless them, O Lord, our God, as you blessed Zacharias and Elizabeth. Why does he, why is he mentioning those couples? Why the prayers? Because Sarah was obedient to Abraham. Rebekah was obedient to Isaac. Anna was obedient to Joachim. Elizabeth was obedient to Zacharias. That is one of the prayers of the Orthodox marriage service, which says clearly there that the woman in all things be subject unto her husband, and this your servant, the husband may be the head of his wife, that they may live according to your will. And the epistle that's read during the marriage ceremony is the epistle of St. Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 5, lines 22 and 33. The gospel is the one about um, Christ blessing the wine at Cana. And this is the epistle that's read at all Orthodox marriages. And it says, this is how it starts. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must fear her husband." which, as I said, reverence, etc., which we'll explain in the next talk. That's the epistle that's read at every Orthodox marriage ceremony. And in there, I think they made reference to submit, submit, submit quite a few times, and man is the head. So I think so far, we have heard, what we've heard, it's without a doubt that the Orthodox Church does believe in that, the man is the head, the woman to submit, etc., which is completely contrary to the feminist ideology, belief, stupidity, and whatever else you want to call it. We have no problems that men are equal with women. That's not a problem, but that's not what they want. But we do have a problem to say that men are the same as women in their virtues, character, and, uh, and responsibilities and things like that. 
I think these modern marriages, I think what they probably will... They, I don't know how they settle their arguments when they have, like, a, the feminist with a husband and they have a, an argument of what to do. How do they solve their problems, I often wonder? Do they throw a coin, heads or tails, to make to know what decision they're going to make? Or do they throw a coin before their marriage who's going to be the head of the family? So what's the answer? How do they get on? Like, how do they actually even exist? What's the answer to that? They don't. They divorce. It doesn't work. Just like you can't have a company where there's two CEOs. You can't have a hospital where there's two head nurses. You can't have a classroom where there's two teachers. There's only one. One's the authority. You can't have two abbots. You can't have two abbesses. You can't have two bishops. You can help a bishop, but he's under the, 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 the bishop. You can't have a parish where there's two head priests, only one head priest. You can't have two kings, two queens, unless you're playing cards. You can't, do, you can't have all these different stupidities that they think that they could do. Uh, no, that's true what you're saying, but in a marriage it's different. We can have two bosses. Even in the kitchen, is there two, is there two chefs or chefiners? Because I won't be, so I won't be um, against women. That's a Greek way of saying it. Is that how it is? If there's one main chef. At a hospital, the director is one. That's a good point. I actually thought about the other day as I was preparing that some men are just scared of the women, women and things like that. Now, I think even feminists themselves find when they see a man who's scared of their wife, I think they even find it repulsive. It just is so unnatural. I find it repulsive and I tell them. I find it hard to fathom. Nick was saying just before that when he was at work one day, he was going up in the lift and there was women and men in the, in the lift, so he decided to step aside to let the goddess out. And what happened was that she got upset. She goes, equal rights, you go first. And, she got, and Nick went into the office and says, I think I was just told off from a feminist. <laughs> now, they're complaining as well, and they're saying, women are complaining, they go, oh, you go into, into the buses and trains, no one stands up. I tell you why, because the men are scared. Because they don't know if they're going to be attacked and say, why are you standing up for me? Okay, let's just, the last one is from the canons. Let's see what the canons say about this. Let's look at Canon 70 of the Sixth Ecumenical Council in the interpretation. It says, Before God formed Eve, he said, It is not good that man should be alone. Let us make for him a helper, meet for him. This means that woman was created not to rule man, but to help him and to be ruled by him. Woman is a teacher of every virtue by word and deed within her own area of responsibility at home. 
Woman's job is to bear children and rear them in the belief and love of God, to uphold the sanctity and sobriety of marriage, and to shun adultery as a thing that is repulsive to God. By so doing, she will be saved and not otherwise. By leaving this path and failing in these duties, she invites perdition. Perdition means to lose her soul. This is the sixth ecumenical council that was recognised by the whole church. This is the mentality, the, this is the spirit of the fathers. Now, he might say, well, women's job is to bear children and rear them in belief and love of God. And, but some will say, but that's, that was then, but now modern women, they've got to work and do this. I think it was Monica that said before that women are saying that they take their children to daycare because they work. At the end, when they calculate all their expenses, the time they put in all their fares, all their petrol, daycare, they don't even have much left over from their job that they do full time. So you think to yourself, well, if you're doing it for the money, because we're living in this difficult society that you need a lot of this money, as they said earlier on in the talk, you might even clear $100. And you work all day, five days a week or three days a week, and you don't hardly see your children, and then you let these strangers take care of your children. Why would you do that? It doesn't make sense if you're doing it for the money like that feminist said earlier on in the talk. And what's the answer? Because they don't want to take care of their children. So really deep down, it's not because they have to work, even though, look, there are some that do because their situation and their husbands or unemployment or um, they're single or they've been abandoned and there's, there's all this. Let's talk about ones that don't need to work if they don't want to. And this, all, their, all this money that they're getting, a lot of it, is just to pay for the second car to go to work, to pay for the child-minding things that they do, to pay for their clothes, to pay for their um, um, shampoos, whatever else they use, all these makeups and operations and all these things. And as I said, there might be some exceptions where some women are working and they don't want to work. Or what, I'm not here to, to, to judge them. I'm here in general to say that they're lying when they say we work because we need the money. Cut down on the rubbish and there might not be any need. Now, when people say to me, I'm not going to have any children because I want a career, very good idea. I agree. Because if you have a child, you're just going to dump it anyway. So better that you don't have one. And they're surprised. They go, oh, but how are you? I'll try and encourage them to change their life. But if they're going to stay like that as a selfish person, those people don't make very good parents. Now, some people get offended when they hear this on the talk, on the MP3 or the CDs. Or the other. They go, oh, here's this, here's that. But the point is, you hear all the other rubbish on the television, on the radio. You, you hear all these things. As I said, 99.9% .9 out there is from feminists. All of a sudden, someone comes along, a priest or some other person that believes in God. All of a sudden, we get this whole attack. That's why priests don't even talk about it. Do you ever hear them talk about it? I don't think they, they even would use the word feminist. 
unless they're behind a shield in the church. Canon 96 of the Sixth Ecumenical Council, another canon, there's a footnote there written by, I think, St. Nicodemus, and he said for the following, which I think was, was, was good. He goes, uh, i just write a little part. He goes, for the beard is the difference which in respect of appearance distinguishes a man from a woman. This is why a certain philosopher, when asked why he grew a beard and whiskers, replied that as often as he stroked his beard and whiskers, he felt that he was a man, not a woman. Those men who shave their beard are not possessors of a manly face, but of a womanly face. Hence, it was that Epiphanius blamed the Massalanians for cutting off their beard, whatever, which is the characteristic peculiar to man as distinguished from woman. The holy apostles, the fathers of the church, wanted this difference between a man and a woman, even to the extent of the, of the facial hair. The apostles, in their injunctions, book 1, chapter 3, says St. Nicholas, command that no one shall destroy the hair of his beard and change the natural appearance of the man into one that is unnatural. For, says he... God the Creator made this to be becoming to women, but deemed it to be out of harmony with men. So God made women to be smooth and made men to have beards and facial hair. The innovation of shaving the beard arose in the Roman Church a little before Pope Leo IX, Gregory VII, even restored to force in order to make bishops and clerics shave off their beard, which they made it like a like a, like a rule at one stage. Oh, he says, oh, and what a most ugly and most disgusting sight it is to see the successor of St. Peter shaven. Now, I'm not here to discuss why the Catholics shave their beards. It doesn't interest me, um, especially when our own priests don't hardly have it. Anyway, so the whole point is, well, I read this canon at this point, is to say that the church believes a man is a man and a woman is a woman. A man has his characteristics, a woman has her characteristics. I have here an issue which is going to show you how they brainwash people including ourselves. There's been a lot written, there's been a lot on the TV lately, news, 60 Minutes, on transgenderism. They had that 60 Minutes thing of these little kids, that the little boy that wants to be like a female and, 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 and the boy and the girl that wants to be like the boy and, and there were all this nice background music and it was so emotional and the parents were saying, I want to make my child happy and this and then there's... Oh, it's just like the whole thing they're doing, they're doing films now that's how they do everything like the abortion they used to show films of women using clothes hangers to have an abortion and say oh women can't do this then they have to have legal abortions which it's all lies as well because 85% if not more of women used to go to real doctors in their back office and get abortions so that's another lie and they made up all these figures of all these hundreds of thousands of women that were doing illegal abortions which wasn't even true which will come to that more maybe later or in the next talk but let's talk about this lies of the about trans because this will show you how they brainwash people 
When you look at those 60-minute programs and other these new movies that are going to come out, for sure, I think, I don't, I don't know if they've done any yet, but for sure they're going to have one of some little kid and how he was depressed and how he committed suicide because he wanted to be his, uh, the opposite sex and it was in his genes and it wasn't his fault and this rubbish that they say. Now let's look at this. Dr. Paul R. McHugh, the former psychiatrist-in-chief for Johns Hopkins Hospital and its current Distinguished Service Professor of Psychiatry, wrote a commentary in the Wall Street Journal printed on June 12, 2014, called Transgender Surgery Isn't the Solution. A drastic physical change doesn't address underlying psychosocial troubles that's the name of the title because what they say is that you can't change the sex of the child too early but they prepare they give hormones to stop the puberty to make the operation easier when the child comes of age and these mad people or should I say possessed people they're trying to lower the age that these kids can have these operations earlier Because that's what the media is pushing. Even Obama and the others, which you'll hear in a minute. In his commentary, he reported on a new study showing that the suicide rate among transgendered people who had reassignment surgery is 20 times higher than the suicide rate among non-transgendered people. In other words, that those who, have, who did have the operation are 20 times higher risk of committing suicide. They don't tell you that. And that was not put in the 60 Minutes thing. So those who have had a gender reassignment, meaning the male private parts became female and the female, whatever they do there, those people supposedly should be happier because that's what they're trying to say to the people. They need to be happy. They're not happy in the body that they are in because God made a mistake. They even say things like that. That that person, yes, uh, she was born a girl but really wants to be male and the, uh, and the opposite. All lies. But when you've got the background music and they've got the tears and they've got the way, TV is very powerful. They can make you believe what they want you to believe. What it says here, while the Obama administration, Hollywood and major media such as Time magazine promotes transgenderism as normal, said Dr McHugh, these policymakers and the media are doing no favours either to the public or the transgendered by treating their confusions as a right in need of defending rather than as a mental disorder that deserves understanding, treatment and prevention. Now he's saying that Obama, who's pro-transgender, and the media and Hollywood that they are not doing a good thing because the doctor is saying 
that these people are confused, it's a mental disorder, and that it deserves understanding that it's a mental disorder, treatment and prevention, not to go and do operations or to go along with them. The transgendered person's disorder, said Dr McHugh, is in the person's assumption that they are different than their physical reality of their body, their maleness or femaleness, as assigned by nature. He's saying it's in their heads. And he goes on to give such a beautiful example. It's a disorder similar to a dangerously thin person suffering anorexia who looks in the mirror and thinks they are overweight, says Dr McHugh. Now, none of us are going to say, at least at this stage of society's level, yeah, no one's going to say that a person that's skinny mini, they're like, like a rake, like completely skin and bone, when they say, I'm fat, I'm fat, I'm fat, and they're crying and they say, I'm fat, no one's going to say that that person's well. So that's been determined. Anorexia is a mental disease. Now, this doctor of one of the biggest hospitals in America, famous hospital, Johns Hopkins, he's saying it's the same thing. In their heads, they believe that they're not the gender that they were born with, but they believe that they're the opposite gender. The pro-transgender advocates do not want to know, said McHugh, that studies show now, ready for this? Between 70 and 80% of children who express transgender feelings spontaneously lose those feelings over time. That's not, not, not been said. So you've got dopey parents, including orthodox, which say, well, uh, so if my child done that, then I would, I'll be, you know, they want to show that they're cool, that they're, that they're all in, you know, and they understand. They go, oh, I would have no problem then if that's what my child wants. But they don't, people don't know that 70 to 80% of these children, firstly, they, go, they get over later on and say, no, I'm all right the way I am. And as for the other 20%, let's see what, what, what's wrong with them. Also, for those who had sexual reassignment surgery, those who went all the way, most said... They were satisfied with the operation, but their subsequent psychosocial adjustments were no better than those who didn't have the surgery. In other words, they say that they're happy, but their mental state is not really improved and the way that they deal with others. He said that at Hopkins, at John Hopkins Hospital, we stopped doing sex reassignment surgery since producing a supposed satisfied but still troubled patient seemed an inadequate reason for surgically amputating normal organs, said Dr McHugh. So it's not enough for them to say, oh, I feel satisfied. And they stopped it. Was that in 60 minutes? No. The former John Hopkins chief of psychiatry also warned against 
enabling or encouraging certain subgroups of the transgendered, such as young people, susceptible to suggestion from everything is normal sex education and the school's diversity counsellors, who, like cult leaders, may encourage these young people to distance themselves from their families and offer advice on rebutting arguments against having transgendered surgery. He's, uh, this was very, very good. He calls those people that go into the schools, for example, cult leaders, that they go in there and they get the vulnerable the kids, in their programs, which is basically everything is normal sex education, like it doesn't matter, gay, straight, transgender, doesn't matter. And they encourage these people to distance themselves from your friends. The family doesn't know. You're gay, that, your mother, your dad, they don't understand. No, you're a transgender, no, they don't understand. They, they encourage to, for, for, for those kids to cut off from their family and also teach them how to answer arguments against having transgender surgery. So they say to them, look, if someone comes up to you and says you shouldn't have the operation, then you tell them bang, 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 whatever. It's my body or whatever else they teach them. It's my body and this and that and that and that and that and that. So isn't that interesting? He actually calls them uh, cult leaders. And yet, many of you send your children to schools and that's what they're getting. Like I said, I think it was Burwood Girls, I think, that they actually got a transvestite or some person to come in there to do a talk to the kids. Dr McHugh also reported that there are misguided doctors who working with very young children who seem to imitate the behaviour of the opposite sex, I love that, imitate. Children do a lot of things. Children imitate that they're truck drivers, children imitate that they're mothers with babies, they get their plastic dolls and they pretend. They imitate a lot of things. So he said that these children that are imitating the opposite sex will administer puberty-delaying hormones to render later sex change surgeries less difficult. So what they do to these kids, they're not allowed to do the operations, but what they do is they start injecting them with some hormone, like if they're male, to put estrogen and things like that, so that uh, it, they don't go through puberty early and they kind of wait, wait as much as they can to suppress the puberty, so when they do the operations, that uh, it's, it's less difficult. Even though the drugs stunt the children's growth and risk causing sterility, so they can't have children. Such actions comes close to child abuse. Now, I'm sorry, I love everything the doctor said, but you see, I've got to be careful. Close to child abuse. That is child abuse, said Dr. McHugh, given that close to 80% of those kids will, quote, abandon their confusion and grow naturally into adult life if untreated, meaning that if they don't have these operations and none of these hormones, they will grow out of it. Dr McHugh wrote, sex change is biologically impossible. People who undergo sex reassignment surgery 
do not change from men to women or vice versa. Rather, they become feminized men or masculinized women, claiming that this is a civil rights matter and encouraging surgical intervention is in reality to collaborate with and promote a mental disorder. If those doctors that are doing those things, it's you are encouraging those people in their mental illness. So about 80% of them give up, they get out of that stage that they went through as children. As for the other 20%, well, some of them do do, this, do, do, do the, um, the gender reassignment, as we, as we just read. Uh, they're at a higher rate of, um, higher risk of, of uh, suicide. But will they do proper studies? No. Why don't they do studies and tell us the outcome of all those that have had the operations? Let's hear about them. Give us some statistics about them. But they won't, because it doesn't make their point come across too good. Just like this thing about the gay thing, the whole thing they've got is that children, and if they're not allowed to be free, whatever, whatever, then they're going to commit suicide. So that's why we've got to get all these laws changed, because the children are at risk. All the time when you see when they're pushing, the children are at risk. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a thing for that. But they don't tell us why in San Francisco, where it's the gay capital, where everything goes and it's all open and everyone's free and they can do what they want, why amongst gay teenagers is a high, the high, incredibly high suicide rate and why in Sweden do they have a high suicide rate, even though it's all accepted? All hidden. Why I brought that up is to show you how the media works and how they are actually tricking people. Another one, which unfortunately is another disaster which was something which feminism really pushed for, was contraception, in particular the pill. Now, I've already given out, does the birth control pill cause abortions, which we have more of today? And I'm also going to give it another one, why pro-life? Those who are hearing the talk are... They would, I would really strongly recommend to go onto the website www.epm, E for egg, P for Peter, M for mother.org. And there, those books are very, very cheap to get a lot of them and give them out. They also have a free PDF where you can make a pamphlet. One's on abortion and one's on the pill over there, which you can take today. People can go on their website and print them in colour and give them out as well. I spoke in the last or the second last talk about the birth control pill that has three mechanisms. The first one is that the pill inhibits ovulation. In other words, it 
that is reducing the likelihood of a woman producing an egg. The second stage is the pill thickens cervical mucus. This makes it more difficult for sperm to travel through the cervix and into the uterus to reach an egg. The third, which is the more interesting and more important and tragic, the pill changes the lining of the uterus. This makes it more difficult for a newly conceived human being to implant in the uterus. The pill is designed so that when the first two mechanisms fail, the third mechanism decreases the likelihood of implantation. So when the, fet- when the fetus does not implant, the little fetus is expelled. In other words, the newly created person is aborted. If all three mechanisms fail, the result is pregnancy. Statistically, eight out of every hundred women on the pill become pregnant. So, anyone who has read the inserts packaged with birth control pills, which is in very small writing, knows there are serious risks to women who take oral contraceptives, including increased incidence of blood clots, strokes, heart attacks, high blood pressure, sexually transmitted diseases, pelvic inflammatory disease, infertility, breast cancer, cervical cancer, liver cancer, ectopic pregnancy. These and other risks are spelled out under each birth control pill listing in the physician's desk reference, which I think our equivalent is the MIMS, is that right? MIMS or something like that, of special note is the danger of breast cancer which is one of the leading cancer killers of women and occurs in one out of nine women. This is important because people don't know this. So there are two things here. One, the pill kills women. And two, the pill kills unborn children. Dr. Angela Lamfranchi is a surgical oncologist and breast cancer expert. She is clinical assistant professor of surgery at Robert Wood Johnson Medical School. Dr. Lamfranchi heads up the Breast Cancer Prevention Institute. She gives a riveting presentation of the scientific proof that the, ki- that the pill kills women and babies and how it does so. This important warning regarding the breast cancer birth control link, so the link between um, birth control pills and breast cancer has not been publicised, she said. Rather, it has been concealed from the public, according to Dr. Angela Lanfranchi. Dr. Lanfranchi compares the concealment of this health risk to the long delayed acknowledgement of the smoke, of the link between smoking and lung cancer, which we know that happened for years and years until they finally won in court and whatever else they did to say, yes, there is a link because the tobacco companies were saying, there's no, 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 there's no link. Smoking doesn't cause lung cancer, and that took many, many years. The same with these pills. That's not really been publicised, that, the, that these pills cause... Uh, uh, well, most people don't care about the abortions. Uh, Christians do, may, and uh, some others, a few people, but in general, women are more interested in the health effects birth control pill, a Molotov cocktail for breast cancer. This was on a website called LiveSiteNews.com by Kathleen Gilbert. And she said, this little known fact about the pill was presented by Dr. Angela Lamfranchi, a breast surgical oncologist and co-founder 
of the Breast Cancer Prevention Institute, who shared her expertise on the drug at the 50 years anniversary of the pill. It's been around for 50 years, uh, killing women and children, that's my addition. Conference in Washington, DC on Friday. When is it ever right to give a group one carcinogen to a healthy woman? She asked the audience. We don't have to take a group one carcinogen to be liberated, if you get what she's saying. Lanfranchi offered a wealth of statistical data from various sources to support a fact that is known by the medical community to be true, yet is rarely acknowledged. And what's that? Use of the pill has been strongly linked to an increased risk of breast cancer. The pill is also believed to increase the risk of cervical cancer and liver cancer. See? Lies. Continual. This stuff is not new, she said. It's not magic. It's in the literature, she said, linking pill use to the 660% rise in non-invasive breast cancer since 1973. Women want to know, and women have a right to know, what researchers have known for over 20 years. Now she goes on to talk about hormone replacement therapy, which I'll just explain to you, HRT. This is just so you can understand. It's been used for approximately 70 years to treat menopausal symptoms, protect long-term health and prolong life, supposedly, prevent discomfort for women going through their menopause. They call it the elixir of youth, a tablet that promised to keep women younger in appearance and attitude for the rest of their lives. Deception. When I went overseas and met my grandmother for the first time when I was 16, she was wrinkled, old, with grey hair, and to me, I was in awe of respect. Actually, when my mother finally, uh, towards the last years of her life, she didn't use any more of those stupid things and the dyes, and she had grey hair, my respect grew. These women, and of course men have got this, but women especially, they, they got this, the elixir of youth to stay young and in appearance and attitude for the rest of their lives. They're scared of growing old. They're really scared. That's what they say, they say a midlife crisis. It's some, well, the midlife crisis for men and women is just a realisation that they're old and they can't accept it. Now let's go back to the article. She compared media treatment of the pill's cancer risk to that of hormone replacement therapy, which was found to be carcinogenic in 2002, cancer-causing. Once word got out, finally, even though they knew it for years before, but once word got out, 15 million out of the 30 million women in America stopped taking HRT. By 2007, invasive breast cancer in women over 50 for estrogen-receptive positive tumours dropped 11%. So as soon as women stopped taking that, the elixir of youth, the HRT, then all of a sudden the cancer started dropping as well. Meanwhile, she noted, hormonal contraception essentially the same drug as HRT and with a similar cancer risk, about 25 to 30 percent 
continues to be advertised, uh, pushed as harmless and even healthy. So you hear that there's nothing wrong with the pill, the contraception pill, it's safe. And yet the International Agency on Research of Cancer branch of the World Health Organization classified hormonal contraception, contraceptives in 2005 as a group one carcinogen along with asbestos and radium, which is a radioactive material. Unlike the HRT discovery, I don't remember one six o'clock news report about that information. So the HRT one, finally, they, they said it to women. But the one on the pill, they haven't said. Said Lanfranchi. While even medical textbooks attest to the 30% increase in cancer risk, the, the books do say that, medical books, Lanfranchi noted a widespread dismissive attitude. One British medical textbook she cited said that, quote, Considering the benefits of the pill, this slight increased risk is not considered clinically significant. In other words, oh yes, there's a little bit of a chance, but you get benefits. You get a, you get a chance to kill your child and to die early. That's the um, the benefit. Are all pills the same? Hmm? Are all pills the same? Like, contraceptive pills, IUDs, these patches, whatever they call them, and all these type of things. They've got the estrogens and the other things. They cause cancer and they also can cause abortions. Not clinically significant to whom, says Lanfranchi, showing a sobering photograph of one of her own cancer patients, Sue Ellen Bennett, while breast cancer caused by the pill is often caught early, she said, the pill's benefits are hardly a reason not to mention its dangers. This is what you have to go through when you're cured. You lose your hair, you lose your breast, she said. Had Sue Ellen been told of the risk, Lanfranc, she said, she would very well have been one of those women who would have chosen not to take the pill. See what women's liberation has done? See the benefits? The surgeon explained that the extra estrogen received by taking the pill not only encourages excessive multiplication of breast tissue, usually a normal occurrence in the menstruation cycle, but when metabolized can also directly damage breast tissue DNA. I don't understand the scientific thing, but um, let's see what the next part says. Because breast tissue remains susceptible to cancer until, you ready for this? it undergoes a stabilising transformation in the childbearing process, which I always thought something like that. So in other words, when a woman has children, she decreases her chance of breast cancer. Now I'll go on. The pill is particularly dangerous to women who have not had yet their first child that transformation can occur in their breasts. Perhaps the most popular demographic among pill users in the US. So most people that take the pill are people, people who have never had children at all. But it goes on. To show just how much of a threat the pill posed to young women, 
Lame Franchi pointed to several statistics, including a 2006 Mayo Clinic meta-analysis that concluded that breast cancer risk rises 50% for women taking oral contraceptives four or more years before a full-term pregnancy. So, if a woman starts to take the pill four to five years before she's had her first pregnancy, then she has a 50% more chance of cancer. In 2009, the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Centre found that women starting the pill before 18 nearly quadruple their risk of triple negative breast cancer. And we know now that a lot of uh, young girls are taking the pill. Some even take it to regulate their periods, which is what doctors use. Well, those women or girls that are taking that have a four-time more chance of triple negative breast cancer. I don't know what the triple negative, but anyway. Even more shocking, Swedish oncologist Hakan Olsen concluded that pill use before the age of 20 increases a young woman's breast cancer risk by more than 1,000%. Any of you heard this before? Of course not. Because the feminists won't allow that. One thousand percent more chance of can breast cancer of a person who's taken the pill before twenty. What is that showing? Mm, might be showing that um, it's advantage for a woman to have children a bit early. That's interesting, isn't it? But the um, feminists are saying differently. You have to have your career first. You got to have your children at the end. If you're uncomfortable, then you have a caesarean. If you don't want to do that, then you can order one from overseas. Sorry, but everything that they stand for is very bad. Apart from a few of those equal rights and, yes, protection and, and the way women were treated, all these things, there's nothing wrong with that. But these things, these things are like we're going into a world of... It like, it's like you're entering into hell. It's like you took this Molotov cocktail, which is a petrol bomb, of a group one carcinogen and threw it into that young girl's breast, said Lanfranchi. Is this child abuse? She's, she's like the other doctor. Is this child abuse? Not it is child abuse. Anyway, I'll say it. It is child abuse. Children watching television as well, where they get terrorised, they have bad dreams, uh, they get brainwashed, they get affected mentally. That's child abuse. You want, you want me to tell you another child abuse as well, which no one will tell you, when you send a child early to school? Because I've dealt with a lot of people who, as older people, when, they, when you help them spiritually, finally they open up. The ones that I've noticed that have a lot of trouble are the ones that went to school early, especially the ones that went to school at four and a half where they weren't with their mother. And a lot of them, uh, and they had a, I don't know how that one got out, but on the 60 Minutes they had a teacher, a retired principal, who worked as a principal, as a teacher for more decades, and he said that those who start school early, he says they never recover. 
They, he actually said straight out they never. But, of course, he had more guts to say that because he's retired, you see. Why didn't he come out and say it a bit earlier? It's um, in a world... That, and that's child abuse too, by the way. Because you're tormenting the child. No, today child abuse is when you smack a child on its bottom. That's child abuse. But the fact that children are watching Harry Potters and all these scary things on TV from very young and getting terrorised and, uh, and they're having their mind, that's not child abuse. See how the world's upside down? In a world where 50% of teenagers are on the pill, Lam Franchi lamented that publicly disproving the deep social dependence on the pill has become nearly impossible. She said it's really hard because people are dependent on this pill. Even though the message would save countless women's lives, she said it's still very hard because, in other words, she's saying in a roundabout way that women have been brainwashed. She sympathised with doctors who would find the, the information hard to swallow. It's hard to talk about this because you're changing a culture. There was one more, but I haven't got time, which was on abortion, which I'll do on the next talk. There's a, that one there when you hear. Oh, you'll, actually, if you, buy, if you get, not buy, if you get this book today, start reading it. So it's called Why Pro-Life? And I would, I would encourage, so say someone, for example, says to me, well, I never knew that this causes abortion. That means I could have had some abortion. I could have lost children while I was on the pill. What do I do? Well, you, you, you confess. You offer God your repentance and then produce fruits worthy of repentance. Not just go and get read because some priests don't give penances. Well, I'll tell you a penance. One penance is get those books and give them out. And that can be your penance. Save other women of having the same problem. If you're on the pill, then stop it. And give the books to your priest and say to them, look, these are good books. If you like them, which I hope they, they will, then you say to them, I'm willing to buy a certain number of them, 50 or 100 of each or whatever, uh, and I would like to, for you to give him out in your pastoral work. If the priest doesn't want to do it because he's scared that the feminists are going to come and do da-da to him, then what you do is you just don't cause trouble. You just give him out wherever you can to people, send them by mail and things like that. So there's the two here. One's called... Does the birth control pill cause abortions? Which is, I read some stuff that I read today came from that book. And the other things I'm going to read next time, Why Pro-Life? Caring for the Unborn and Their Mothers. They're written by Randy Alcorn, who's a very good research person. And um, they're very cheap. I think this one, if you buy 60 or something, it costs about a dollar each. This one costs around $2 each if you buy 100 or whatever. And um, I've had people that even bought them for their parents. For, for their mother that died. But knowing that they would have taken those pills and that, that, that she didn't know that that could have caused abortions, then uh, some people have said, I'm going to buy these books and give them out for my mother's soul or for my sister's soul or for whatever. And also the abortion one, because a lot of women have had abortions and this is also 
to produce fruits worthy of repentance. Repent, yes, but at the same time, um, then do something about it. It's not enough to repent, confess, and then go off. Then we also have at the back an akathist for one who has aborted a child, which is excellent to buy. And if you haven't done it, but you know someone who has, you may want to read it for them on their behalf. And also here we have the akathist to Saints Joachimanana, the patron saints of marriage, which you can also purchase at the, um, at the back. So that's it. Any last question? Any little questions? And also this book here, produced by Holy Trinity, produced by Holy Trinity Monastery, Jordanville. It's a new book called The Struggle for Virtue, Aestheticism in a Modern Secular Society by Archbishop Averki, which was one of my favorite Russian hierarchs who was enlightened, very zealous, and I love all his writings. And I would urge that this book's a good one too. The Struggle for Virtue, and that's from Holy Trinity Monastery uh, Publications. And also, this book here, St John Chrysostom, on family, on marriage and family life, which is where I get a lot of my material from. This is produced by St Vladimir's Seminary Press. And a um, little bit difficult for some, some of you that aren't, can't, aren't very good at reading, but nevertheless, you will still pick up things. Everyone should have a copy of this book. So the next talk, just so that, thanks for reminding me, is uh, going to be on um, uh, more detail about this, the, the, the church's teaching of the role of the man and the role of the woman, the marriage. What's it mean in more detail of what does it mean for a woman to be in obedience? What does it mean by the man being in the head? What does it mean that the woman has to fear the man? What all these things mean, and it's going to be especially based on St. John Chrysostom's works. Question? Yes, Elisa, what's, what's your question? Are you a feminist? You're not? You've been what? Influenced by feminist articles, okay, and? So at the end of it, so at the end of it all, do you still want to be a man, or you're happy being a woman? Okay, but not to be pushed around. So you felt that the talk helped you today. Mm-hmm. Mm. But remember what I said before, they're feminist by day and in the night they're searching the, um, on the internet to look for the perfect man, to look for their knight, to look, to look for their knight in shining armour, to come and rescue them from their high-powered jobs. It's like it started off that they just lost 
Well, the first, the first feminists, one can say, you know, were the ones that were doing about the votes, the equal votes and things like that. But um, as they said, that's why I read all those blogs. I don't, look, I'm not into blogs and things like that. Um, but I had to research it so I can present it to you. And I hope um, it wasn't, it was, I hope it wasn't that uh, people didn't get up because it wasn't spiritual enough. But after reading through that, I understood even more what they stand for. So when I made that statement, which just came out the other time, last time, it just came out, I just said, feminism equals hatred of men. And, and when I said that, to be truthful, it just, that's what it just came out of me without even really reading it. But that's what I felt. And then as I said, that priest, one of the priests said, oh, no, you shouldn't have that. And I said, well, you can give your opinion. There's another example. You can give your opinion. Ultimately, it's my responsibility. I'm going to leave it in. And then, lo and behold, in this talk, I saw that I was correct. How about you, Olga? Are you a feminist? Hmm? Sorry? Never been a feminist. A woman went to a doctor, which was, which was a woman doctor, and she, she had to go to a specialist, a gynecologist. And the woman doctor said to this female patient, um, go to a man. And then the, girl, and the woman says, why is that? Oh, don't go to the female ones because a lot of times they're shuffling between children and they're not very, um, they're not very good. It's better to go to a man. And that was from an older woman. But it was very interesting that I'm not saying, I'm saying what she said. This is what a doctor said, a female doctor said to this woman. Don't go to a woman because a lot of times they're divided with their families. That's very, very um, interesting. And when you hear comments like women saying, I don't want to work under a woman. And when you've got hundreds of thousands of women marching in Washington, against abortion and things like that, you can understand why the feminists become very, very hostile against everything and they're trying to squash it. Now, the internet has got a lot of bad, but one advantage of the internet is that now people can have access, which is not just through the television, which is all being filtered by them. And so therefore people are able to read more and find out more of the truth rather than uh, listening to all their or their um, brainwashed materials, things that they've got. Okay, stand up, please. Through the prayers of our Holy Fathers, Lord Jesus Christ, the God of mercy, save us. Amen. Than the radiance of the sun 
For thou hast redeemed us out of the curse that held us, O mistress of creation, with hymns we honor thee. Brethren, come with love, let us venerate that most wondrous icon of our Queen, who is quick to hear. Through its signs and marvels are wrought in great abundance, and from it gifts of healing pour forth in mighty streams. Having thine august icon quick to hear as a mighty tower of defense, O unwedded bride, there we flee for refuge in dangers and temptations, and we are swiftly rescued from every threat of harm. Now the time of need is upon us all. Now